Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever WrestleMania! and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, we are here Memorial Day weekend, which means last night was double or nothing. The show that I wouldn't buy because it was $50, but you caved in. I did. You gave in to the pricing overlords of All Elite Wrestling. You handed them the money. I did. I gave them the 50 bucks. You ordered it through Bleacher Report Live? Yes. I don't do normal cable. I have a Sling TV and, and do the internet and the... You know, which is what you do. You have the you you convinced me to move into the the next realm of entertainment, which is all apps oriented. And so I went through, and the purchase on this bitch was a little bit difficult. Okay, yeah, that's what I had heard from some people is that it wasn't so easy. It wasn't. You had to really want to watch this <laughs> damn thing to fucking figure out how to get it. Yeah, I heard a story of somebody being charged twice for it, and then uh, still waiting on a refund for one of those orders. Oh so, shit, I haven't checked. I'm I got the same damn thing. So, Patrick, what is your review of Double or Nothing? We'll start with the Casino Battle Royal. What did you think of this match? Perfect 10 who? Holy shit, Scott Putzky. Ty Dillinger. Sean Spears now. Sean Spears has quickly... I had I had no idea who this fucking person was until everybody started chanting 10, and I'm double-checking, and I'm triple-checking, and I'm like... Who the hell is this guy? And I couldn't tell until I got a really good close-up, and I was like, what the hell? Dude's jacked. Dude's jacked. Got some new ink. 
didn't look different haircut different man he had these bug ass eyes that were uh contacts that had he had like weird colored contacts in he's sean spears now he's he's not ty dillinger he's he's shed his old persona so this is the new sean spears and uh thought he'd actually play a bigger role in this uh battle royal but at the last minute they announced how they wanted to set up the number one contender for their title so that's how they use this battle royal instead of the over the budget battle royal at all in this was actually for there was something on the line it was a casino battle royal it was very complicated as well and you pick up you you pick a suit of the deck right so spades hearts clubs yada yada and the joker that was their way of sitting doing a battle a royal rumble style where individuals you started out with like six or seven people and then you i believe they were sending like five at a time then you had five at a time which when that specific suit was brought up and then the joker came out last and so uh which turned out to be hangman page but it was done uniquely it's kind of a cool spin on an old idea and well and they needed to make it quick so they wanted to give people entrances but didn't want to give them individual entrances but still needed to get this thing in the pre-show so this was their idea i think this idea needs some work i'm not saying it was a bad idea i'm with you though it needed to just a hair tweaking left or right somewhere but it was they were onto something with that style of a match well, I think it would have been better remembered had it not had the implication of naming the number one contender. I think adding that onto it kind of makes it a less, like, even... I have more critique of it because, like, you see Glacier and Tommy Dreamer and people that aren't going to be the number one contender and just people that are there. Yeah. And, and then you get serious contenders, like people that it could possibly be which there was pretty much one, and that was the Joker, Hangman Page, who came out last. Uh, I was shocked. We've discussed him numerous times. Brian Pillman Jr., I had no idea he was going to be a part of that match. And uh, He had his uh, bright, dyed blonde hair. Yeah. Flying Brian. Yeah, he was a part of the match. It was a big variety of wrestlers. You know, Billy Gunn was in this thing, and I think the two standouts were the the last two men, which was MJF and Hangman Page, and MJF would play a role later on in the night, but uh, Hangman Page wins the Battle Royal, becomes the number one contender, and this explains why the match with Pac didn't work out because Pac didn't want to lose and it's clear that they have Adam Page earmarked to be the face of the franchise that he is going to be their guy their Roman Reigns basically yes that he is I don't know if he'll win the title his first time out but he's definitely going to be a long-term project yeah so he's going to be their go-to and uh I think that's a really good selection oh he's excellent and he's, he's very very young and yes he, and he works his ass off and will give anything it takes to make a match great he won the casino battle royal so he gets a title shot against the winner of omega and jericho later in the night then we had kiv sabian and sammy guevara What'd you think of that match? Not high up on it. Yeah, that's what I had heard from people. I didn't buy the pay-per-view, so I can't really give you my thoughts on it. I did see parts of uh, the next match, SoCal Uncensored and the Strong Hearts, the six-man tag that actually opened up the show. I saw parts of that, but that was pretty much all I saw. And then I saw the highlights, the clips that made it to Twitter, like all the big, yeah. the big spots that 
don't necessarily have to be wrestling spots, but like yeah. uh, things that happened in the show that, that left people talking. So what do you think of SoCal Uncensored with Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky taking on Seema T-Hawk and L. Lindemann? I thought it was very entertaining. Reminiscent of a WCW cruiserweight match to start yes. off the show. Then we had our first women's match in AEW history when Britt Baker took on Nyla Rose, Kylie Ray, and a surprise, the welfare queen herself from Glow. It was Awesome Kong returning to the ring in many, many years. Uh, was introduced by Brandy Rhodes, and this was a fatal four-way match. What did you think of this opening women's match? Very well done, very entertaining. It was very methodical in the fact that take the big girls out. Yeah, they were paired off with one another. They were done. It was just done very well. And it was finally that's how the finish came about was they, you know, the bigger women the monsters per se were out of the picture and so they were they were able to go on and do you know the finish of the match it was just wow honest uh, honest that's all i can say it's just wow honestly that's it then we had a tag team match with the best friends chucky t and trent beretta taking on angelico and jack evans what'd you think of that tag match that was rough man didn't like this one too much not too high up on it was it because of the post-match angle with the super smash brothers and the weird uh hooded men and the super smash brothers not being very well known in america mostly wrestled overseas they've had visa issues for years trying to wrestle in the states so the crowd was not into this they didn't know who these people were and they got the undertaker entrance at the end with the lights go out you're supposed to have a huge pop no one knows who the super smash brothers are yeah so kind of clouded the end of this match and kind of got lost in the shuffle but i don't want to say it wasn't a good match it was just one of those it was a match nothing specific about it stood out this next women's match was a six-woman tag but it was all japanese talent so i'm going to butcher these names hikaru shida rio abe rio mizunami defeated Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazaki, and Emma Sakura. Aja Kong is... A legend. The Terry Funk of the women's division. That's right. She was wrestling Alundra Blaze back in the 90s. Aja Kong is literally... Where Awesome Kong got her name from. Yes, and I'm serious, y'all. I did not realize she was on this match, or on this card. And it wasn't until... I heard that being brought up in the first women's match, and JR go, I've never called a match for her. I am really thrilled. He goes, I am, he actually was genuinely excited to call his first match with her in it. And she is, man. She is the Terry Funk of the women's division in Japan. How old is she? She is 48 years old. Wow. Uh, I mean, she just, a legend. It was a very special match, I guess, to have her in it. It was just, it was very, it was a very cool match. And I think just her alone being a part of it, the nostalgia is what made it. But then to have the other women in there and they delivered, that was a hell of a match. 
and a very different women's match than the one you saw earlier in the night. Very different styles. This card featured a lot of variations of what you think of as a wrestling match. Yes. Whatever you're into, you're probably into one of these matches. To someone that likes a lot of work rate, you probably like one, the Young Bucks match. And to someone that likes storytelling, you probably love the Dustin and Cody match. And to someone that just likes to see uh, two icons basically fight, you probably love the Omega and Jericho match. If you like Japanese wrestling, you have an entire six-woman tag with nothing but Japanese talent. So a lot of different styles on this card. A lot of different variations, and I that's good. If they stick with that, that... There's something for everybody, yes, Patrick. which is what Nitro was. I don't, listen, as we go down the road, I don't want to compare as much as it's going to be done AEW to WCW. What, a wrestling program on TNT? That's crazy to make that comparison. <laughs> because of the fact that it's, it's a lot different. It's different times. It's different variations. It's being done differently, believe it or not. Uh, however, it is done in somewhat of the same terms where it has everything. It has anything a wrestling fan could want as a part of last night's pay-per-view. I know you really enjoyed the uh, face and heel entrance uh, ramps. I'm sure you really enjoyed I that. I did. I dug that. Well, the final three matches of the night are probably going to be the most talked about and remembered. And we start with Cody taking on his brother, Dustin Rhodes. What did you think of this match? All right. So let's walk step by step through this. The entrance with the uh, throne and the plastic sledgehammer camera angle really bad. We saw it. Yes. Uh, Cody uh, Cody put a plastic throne out there with the Celtic-looking cross that Triple H uses. It was very apparent who he was sending a message to in his skull, entrance. You know, skulls and all that on there. and <laughs> All that shit Triple H likes. Yeah. yeah, all that shit. She goes down to the ring. She gets the sledgehammer out, stares at it like Triple H does, hand, goes halfway up the ramp, hands it to Cody. Cody walks back up there, smashes this styrofoam. <laughs> it starts smoking, too. It starts smoking, yes. And it, it breaks into pieces, which was a message to Triple H, somewhat of a fuck you. Now, I don't know. It was very strongly done. I got a kick out of it. I thought it was hilarious. I am with you. We talked about this beforehand. I am with you in the fact that it's not always a good idea to acknowledge your competition, and they are now going to have a TV show. This is a real deal thing. They do not need to be doing that on a weekly basis. It's only going to shoot them in the ass. But well, Yeah, it's like Nitro giving out raw spoilers or TNA bringing up, oh, why Why do you want to see us succeed and uh, WWE sucks and all this stuff? No, my thoughts are in my media careers, we don't bring up our competition ever. Uh, even if there's something that we can hit them with, even if they've done something stupid, we don't bring it up unless it's something really, really stupid. There was one time uh, the radio station I worked for, we called the other radio station, our competitor, out because they gave away seats that didn't exist. We had a local music festival here and they gave away VIP seating to the stage that didn't have VIP seating. And we just brought up the fact that you guys are making up a prize. You are making this up. This does not exist because the general public doesn't have access to it. So right. it doesn't exist. There's no section for it. And so we called them out. We even printed up shirts that said invisible seats and gave them to our winners <laughs> uh, for that music festival. And what the other station ended up doing was they had to sadly go to the music festival and ask to rope off a section of seating, which was so far 
far from the stage, but that was the exclusive seating, and that's what they ended up doing. But that's the only time I can ever remember directly calling them out. And our station has higher ratings than theirs, so there's no benefit to us to punch low. And there's a benefit to them to punch high, and that's what AEW is doing in this case because they're not the number one wrestling promotion in the world. But I think you have to really pick and choose your spots and when to do them. And I think on your first pay-per-view, a pay-per-view that went five-something hours, don't waste your time doing that. Don't waste your entrance on that. The match was so good without it and with the post-match that happened after it. That that's almost forgotten about, even though that's the images. That's the problem with doing that spot is because now on Twitter, that video of him breaking that throne with the hammer is now as circulated as the end of the match, which is the end of the match is way better. Is yeah. probably the highlight of the entire show. But now they're neck and neck in circulation, and people saying, "Ooh, he took a shot at Triple H." Ooh, instead of. Let's focus on the match. Let's focus on the po- let's focus on us and yeah. not focus on them. And I just think they took other shots and they 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 take their shots. You know, like by putting on this pay per view, that's a shot. By starting a promotion and going on TNT, I hear you loud and clear. If I'm yeah. if I'm the WWE and you, we see it when Luke Harper asks for his release and he doesn't get it. When when Sasha Banks goes home and doesn't want to come to work. When the Revival want to get out and they're just going to have to be rubbing Icy Hot on their asses for weeks on end because they're comedy now, because they want out. You've, you've already, you see the effects already. So shot, fired, and received. And Triple H at the Hall of Fame saying, piss ant company. That's all you need to know is that they're aware. They're very aware yeah. of what's going on. And you don't need to send them more messages. Uh, it's, it's sort of like... When you break up with a girlfriend and you just keep texting her and texting her and texting her and say, hey, well, look what I've got now. Look at my new girlfriend or whatever. It, it just seems kind of petty, a yeah. little bit petty. And Well, they made a <laughs> – it was right when Road Dogg and Billy Gunn had gotten to Impact, had gotten to TNA and on their weekly – Oh, when they challenged DX to go meet him at the Alamo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, well, and Sean Hickenbottom. <laughs> and then you got like. Paul Levesque. <laughs> we'll see you at the Alamo. And we'll then, be there. But you've got like this. They never show their faces and they never say their names, but they say that they're being invaded. And so they've got like this shitty looking lower half Triple H with a sledgehammer and this corn cob up his ass walking dude like Vince. And it makes you, like, they put a lot of effort into, or making you think, or tricking you into Yeah, thinking. that Voodoo Ken Mafia shit was stupid. And then they, <laughs> they even went, and they ended up getting David Sahadi, who did all those intros for the WWE pay-per-views. All those great, long, uh, narrative intros that we all remember so well from the Attitude Era. They ended up getting him fired, because they showed up on the set of one of his shoots one day to do more of that, oh, invasion shit, and, you know. Oh, here we are. We're in the Vince's catering. Vince is paying for my cupcake. That got David Sahadi fired from the company and his father. So, well, which he ended up working for TNA afterwards. But yeah, it's shitty stuff like that. That it just it makes you look low rent. I right. Think, to, it was kind of a. It's funny and serious business. It's it's a bad. One. Well, and I think it's it looks even worse when years later. Guess who comes back to the company? You know, guess who's in the ring. 
with Triple H accepting their Hall of Fame rings. The Voodoo Ken fucking Mafia, yeah. you know? So, and the same thing with WCW. Like, Bischoff is challenging Vince to a fight. Bischoff's giving away spoilers, challenging Vince to a fight, always calling them out. Oh, they're taped. They fucking suck. Fuck them. Guess who comes coming for a job in 2003, you know? Guess who shows up as the GM of Raw? <laughs> Eric fucking Bischoff. So... I think that makes it look even worse because we don't know the future of AEW. Hopefully it goes on forever and ever and they're a great company and they make tons and tons of money. But if this thing ever ends and Cody needs a job... He damn sure ain't going to be going back. No, they'll probably let him back because that's what they do. They let everyone back. That's true. Because it makes them look look how stupid you were. Yeah. You're smashing my throne. Look who gave you a job. Yeah. Guess who's feeding your family now? Yeah. The Don, Triple H, you know, the Don of this wrestling organization here. The godfather, Vince McMahon. Uh, Cody versus Dustin, which I had mentioned to you before. The WWE had the opportunity to do this match, and they very much led you to believe that they were eventually going to get to that match, and they did it. They did it as Gold Dust versus Stardust, and it was an awful match, Patrick. Terrible. One of the worst. It was one of the worst matches ever. I've ever seen. It looked like a botched ending, but that was just the end of it. Yeah. And so they had the opportunity to do this match, and Dustin got released in January, so he was able to work this show, and now AEW is finally able to deliver this match that WWE had sitting in front of them for three or four years, basically, Yeah. to pull the trigger on this match. And you, I, you, were, you were skeptical, you said, about... Oh, yes. Just like the all-in match with Nick Aldis and Cody. And going back to, I think, some of our earliest podcasts, when Cody first left the company, I was like, I don't know about this. Because I kind of lump him in with his counterpart in Legacy, Ted DiBiase Jr., who's not in the business anymore. And that's... Not to say that they're the same person, but they came up through the same system, the same yeah. ranks. And I didn't think Cody had it in him to go out and work indies and work high school gyms and work lower tier things when he had been brought up through the system and was a, a WWE system wrestler. And some would say probably not a very exciting wrestler compared to most indie workers who are diving and jumping and just like randy orton's critique you know they're always just diving just dive but he has totally proven me wrong and so but heading into that nick aldis cody rhodes match at all in it was more about nick aldis as his opponent more than cody same thing here dustin i love gold dust and i love dustin rhodes but he hadn't been in the ring a while he's been doing this uh deputy thing in texas he's been riding around busting skulls uh arresting people knocking on doors so i didn't know what to expect from gold dust because even when he was on the roster he wasn't featured all that much so what do you even know to expect from him i think we've talked about on here many times i've always had the idea that he wins the rumble and goes to mania or whatever and that's that was my cinderella story that they ended up using for kofi kingston but totally exceeded my expectations just like the nick aldis match and like i say i didn't i didn't order the pay-per-view so i haven't seen the full match but i know the highlights and i know the post-match and i know i know the (laughs) the blood that was spilled from dustin Rhodes uh to make this story dusty would be proud that's all i'm saying oh dustin must want some of those same scars in his forehead because this was a uh, a deep wound in his skull this was and i told you i told you this before we started and i stand behind this statement this was 
probably one of the greatest matches I've ever seen since WrestleMania 25 with Taker and Sean. Wow. That is high praise. Like, I put it really, i serious, honest to God. And if you try to, I know fans are going to give me shit and want to, well, what about this? Well, what about that? What are the, I will I will fight it tooth and toenail. I will f- argue with a stop sign and make this bitch say go. That is, that was a great match. It was, it had everything. It had the drama portion of fuck. Coat, you know, Dustin just is pouring blood. And it had the hardcore side of the fact that, dude, when he when I say pouring blood, this shit was a faucet. Okay, and he was already wearing red and black, but yeah. even then, he was still just covered, and the ring was. And at one point covered. in time, he really couldn't see out of that eye. There was a good thirty forty five seconds where Hepner is keeping Cody back, and Dustin's just sitting here doing this, and he can't see. Like it's just draining like water out of your shower head and he he literally can't see out of that eye realistically not storyline oh my god he can't see no he literally could not see it just it, god it was a great match like it really he was all in he was i got scared for his health and safety oh yeah that's uh, enough blood pouring from him where you get to the point where you might think about stopping the match because yeah, you know, you're getting pass that's out. like blood transfusion on the way to the hospital loss of blood because this yeah it reminds me of like Austin and Brett or uh, Eddie and JBL where God, he was yeah. just coated yeah um this was uh, up there this was a bloody an all timer yeah. yeah and I mean even out there on the black mats ringside when they worked out uh, ringside for a few minutes there you just you see. Dustin take the spear and from Randy and as he's slowly getting up, like he was <laughs> losing a lot of blood. It, it's it's deathmatch quality blood. Like he's God dude, I cannot express the severity of it. The storytelling, you know, with it and you know, I gotta take the old dog out back and put it out of its misery once and for all. You know, I'm doing I'm doing it because it's my brother, because I'm tired of watching him suffer. Like it was you believed wow. you you had you believed in the fact that Cody, honest to God, truly was thinking like I have to do this. Someone's gotta tell Dustin Some, to stop. Yeah. And so it's making you think like, dude, you're a fucking asshole going into this. And so you had the storytelling, you had the drama, you had the hardcore element, you had the technician side of it, you had the uh, the ending with the, the post-match with, you're my brother, I don't need a tag partner, I don't need a friend, I need my brother. And my older brother. Yeah, man. I mean, it was just, God, it was done so fucking well. Well, I thought that the, the near falls they kicked out of were dramatic, they weren't... A million of them, yeah. and they were from their finishers, and so the crowd bid on those finishes, and eventually, yeah, Cody did put uh, Old Yeller down, Old Gold Yeller down, and uh, walked to the back, but then had a change of heart to come back out and tell him, no, you can't quit. That vertebraker was probably the safest one I've ever seen hit, <laughs> by the way. Dude, he it's, had him way high up. That's probably good. For, <laughs> I mean, for, for Dustin, he had him way high up on his shoulders. 
Well, if you're going to trust someone to deliver a vertebraker on you, uh, probably your brother is the best way to go uh, when it comes to that. But yeah, the post-match with Cody's voice cracking when he tells him this, that, oh, we got a tag match against the Young Bucks coming up. And yeah, his voice cracking when he asks for, he needs his older brother to come join him. And then they hug. And that that was the biggest ovation of the night, was just to see two brothers who probably hug all the time. Yeah. Hug. Like I was telling you before we went on the air, unlike that Nick Aldis match, which had the benefit of the 10 Pounds of Gold series and all those hype videos and Cornette talking about the history of the NWA and all the prestige packed into that and the, the legacy of Dusty to Cody and the first father-son to hold the belt and all this going into it, this didn't have the benefit of that. This had the benefit of basically two promos, basically. Yeah. Which was uh, the gold dust, uh, Dustin packing up the gold dust stuff, putting it in the trunk, shoving it away, and then the, the Cody videos on being the elite, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. You didn't need that, because once you were in the arena and the match happened, they told the story right there. I don't need a, I don't need yeah. any further information. And, so. and... Hold on, hold on. You don't get... To retire here, you don't get that. Because I gotta ask you a favor. In front of God and the whole world. Before AEW was a thing, before we filled this place up, it was me, it was Kenny, it was Matt, it was Nick, it was Tony. And I put my name on a piece of paper for our show next month in Jacksonville for Fight for the Fallen. You know what the match that I put my name down on? It was myself and a partner of my choosing. Against against what I think is the best tag team in the world, the Young Bucks. But Dustin, I don't need, I don't need a partner. I don't need, I don't need a friend. I need my older brother. You didn't purchase it, but he was the natural. Yes, Dustin it was written Rhodes. on the back of his uh, red and black cane jumpsuit thing that he had on. Did he paint half of his face? I know he, he painted it with blood, but did he paint he half did. of it? Which and and I got asked this question. Well, that looks weird. Why only either don't do it or do it? It makes sense. He's the natural Dustin Rhodes at the start of his career, so he had no face paint. He was the cowboy. He was. Oh, I see. Beginning and end. The basically. beginning and end. Then then. So he's following in his father's footsteps as the natural Dustin Rhodes, no face paint. The other side that's painted was when he stepped out of his father's limelight and carved his own niche in gold dust. There's a little bit of backstory as to why 
that was done and that's what it was and so kind of like how you know how cody puts different things on his weight belt is there's backstories to it and it showed how far and the fact that he truly last night was probably almost it for for dustin and well, I, yeah i mean he had presented this like it was going to be not it. not a terry funk yet like legitimately and so the next one i truly believe that's all that's all we'll see of dustin ever again maybe i still think he's a very uh, gifted worker in oh, the ring God, yeah. and especially for his age and i well, think he's got a few more years left but. the nickname the natural was was not given to him by himself or by dusty it was actually given to him i do believe by rick flair because he is he's that gifted the natural dustin Rhodes. he truly was born to be a pro wrestler and i'm with you he has i think a couple more years easy left in i I could believably truly buy into a run with the title of AEW with him. He's at least got one more match in him with uh, Cody as his partner against the Young Bucks. I mean, Cody could just turn on him in that match. I mean, it would make sense that he just joins back up with the Young Bucks, but that's set for their pay-per-view in Jacksonville. So, to me, this was match of the night just for that moment after the match. I mean... Yeah, from start to finish, this was match of the night for me. This really, I'm telling you, one of the highest praised matches I've seen in a very long time in my book if you prefer work rate over storytelling then you probably like the next match better than the cody and dustin Rhodes match but in between here though we had a very important moment where brett the hitman hart came out and presented the aew title belt to the crowd to show us what it looked like well first he showed it to the wrong camera so he had to turn around but this thing is uh big Oh, he almost dropped it, bringing it out. And heavy, yes. Yeah. The North American heavyweight title, is it's a spinoff of that. and if It's it, got a very classic look to it. Yes. yes, if anyone remembers the look of that. The iconic picture of uh, Magnum TA holding that title. It's a spinoff of that title. Except it's fucking gigantic. And it's huge, but it is gorgeous. I mean, it is a beautiful belt. And so, and they were interrupted by Hangman Page and MJF, who MJF is not signed to them exclusively, but uh, cut great heel promos. Yes, uh, in both uh, before the Battle Royal and oh no, look behind you, Brett. S- legit fans get tackled. Yeah. Fans were getting pissed. Then we moved to the tag match, which I think was probably actually the best in-ring product presented of the night. I would agree with you, except, and I would agree on the fact that if you saw the full match, you would agree with me, too. So many fucking false finishes. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the Young Bucks defended their AAA World Tag Team Championship against the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. And that was part of their storytelling was that they wanted to hit all these finishers of tag teams and people that they had faced in the past. So they hit like a Motor City Machine Guns finisher and they hit a Kevin Steen finisher and they hit all these old rivalries and they hit other finishers against the, the Lucha Brothers that did didn't work eventually they just used the melter driver which is their finisher and won the match but a lot of insane spots here with like canadian destroyers on the ring apron and good god i swear i thought matt was dead that canadian destroyer looked 
vicious. Yeah, and Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix aren't exactly known for, uh, you know, their light striking either. So these, <laughs> this was bound to be a uh, tremendous tag team match. and It, it would have been a lot better had there not been 34 false finishes. I quit counting. I, it probably wasn't 34, but I quit counting. It was in... It was in pushing 20. <laughs> and I, seriously. Indie-rific. It was pushing 20. It so wasn't, by the time the finish comes around. People are worn out. Oh, like, yeah. It's like, fuck it. Because you're expecting another false finish. Yeah, because they you went. Had, you had bait and switched me. A million times. The boy that cried wolf so many fucking times to the point that it's like, ah, well, fuck it. You yeah, know? I mean, they went 25 minutes, and you said they had a bunch of false finishes. So, yeah, so by the time the actual one-handed melter driver happens, it's not that big a deal because yeah. you think they might just kick out again. That leaves us with the main event of the evening. Chris Jericho taking on Kenny Omega. This is for the other contender for the AEW World title. This is a rematch from New Japan. Chris Jericho, what did you think about his entrance with the throwbacks, with the stand-in Jerichos? I thought it was extremely entertaining. That was kind of weird, honestly. Really? Looking at it. Yeah, I just thought, I don't know. I don't know how I really feel about that. I I think it could have been with a little bit more thought into it maybe i i would have liked it better like the version that he put for lionheart is just a guy with curly hair standing back with the vest and lionheart i've always loved that vest by the way well lionheart would just walk out and high five the people so but you can't do that without revealing the stand-in's face so you don't want to do that but then the list of jericho guy like with the completely different hair i just thought that was kind of weird the light-up jacket was kind of cool i actually liked the light-up jacket but then it made me sad to see actual (laughs) today's chris jericho walk out as the final incarnation of himself. Sorry, I, I know that he's aging and you get older and you, you know, you, you ain't what it used to be, you know, but with that hair and that hat and just walking out to that Fozzie shit and just, it, ma- it just kind of made me sad, honestly. Yeah, his look is just, he just, I mean, I know he's going for a heel look, but he just looks awful to Jeez. me. Like the hair, the hair and the, he just, yeah, he just looks like he's just given up. I don't know. Because he's done fucking everything he could. He beat The Rock and Stone Cold in the same night, okay? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah. this plays into his character that I've done everything. You need to thank me. This whole organization is mine. Thank you very much. So I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to work on my body or work on my hair or do any of that. Fuck that. I'm done with that. I'm just going to come out in a hat. You guys can fucking deal with it. So I thought his entrance actually just kind of made me depressed when we actually get 2019 Chris Jericho walking out. He's still a great performer. It's just that that look is off-putting to me. (laughs) And then uh, Kenny Omega uh, had a new theme and uh, a, a slightly different look and some colored hair. And uh, going into this with high expectations, I think, is what hurt this match. Well, yeah, because you had just seen back to back two great matches, two really great matches. I mean, different in you had a storytelling match and a high work rate tag match. You had nothing to break up that tag match in the main event. You're just going right into it. So I think the come down from the Cody Rhodes match, honestly, it's the same thing that happened at All In. They should have saved the Cody match for the end if they since they had that one structured so well and just like the Cody match here tonight with that 
with the hug at the end and the the big pop at the end or whatever. And then you could have still gotten to what you needed to get to after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would have been even better, I think, maybe, if they had John Moxley debut after that and attack the brothers. The brother, both of them. They're hugging and the hu- they're hugging and takes a chair shot to the back. They both fall and he- and then maybe and if you still want to get to Kenny Omega, he runs out to try to save him or something. Something he wears them out. But that go out with your best start to finish. I, I get it. Match. I get it. You're the boss. Okay. Right. So you don't want to put yourself. You don't want to put yourself in the main event because you don't want everyone who is looking at you expecting to think, oh, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. It's like, fuck it. I'm never going to see the main event because he's the boss and he's a worker and he's going to hog it. So I get Cody's thinking on it. But that does state one thing when the boss is putting on the better match, (laughs) boys, you better pick it up. Yeah. So your thoughts on. Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. I think I think you're right. They they didn't bring their A game. They didn't and I think what played a lot into that is the fact that the hype for the matches before. Right. This was a return match. They had already seen a great match between these two. The the crowd hype from the matches you had just seen before it and the history of knowing what these two men are capable of. You're just setting yourself up for You couldn't deliver. Down. It's just like yeah. Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, too. Yeah, you couldn't deliver. Right. I mean, there's just no way to top what you'd already done. Yeah. So Chris Jericho ended up winning with his new finishing move. Spinning back elbow. The Judas effect. The Judas effect, okay. And a surprising finish because he's got a match scheduled against Okada in New Japan. I really thought Kenny was walking out of this the winner. Oh, I definitely did because we all assume that Jericho's going to lose to Okada. Okada just started his title reign. So why would you have your number one contender just go over there and lose? But they might not care that much, which obviously they don't. Or, craziest shit ever, he beats Okada, and he's the world champion of two companies. That's Well, that would be the only way to go, because you can't... Then I don't don't think New Japan would like Adam Page beating their world champion down the line at All Out, or whenever this is going to take place. So So Jericho winning sets up Hangman Adam Page versus Chris Jericho for the AEW world title. That's after Jericho fights Okada for the New Japan world title. So yeah... You could have a scenario where Jericho is Chris Two Belts. And, uh. Well, I mean, it would be a lot better than Becky Two Belts. No offense. He was actually first with Two Belts because he won he the was. WCW and WWF title. He needs and to come out with a shirt. Fuck you, Becky. I, had, I did it first or something. I think they've taken enough shots at the <laughs> WWE. Prior to the match beginning, they had to get that Cracker Barrel out of the ring, which uh, Jericho, was, Jericho was having none of, uh, the ref getting the Cracker Barrel He out couldn't of the... fucking get it, so Jericho just gets pissed and storms over there and shoves into the side and picks it up. Well, he thought about, I'm going to try and lift this over my head and chuck <laughs> it over. And, yeah, you know, it and then he said, just put it through the middle rope. But he had no time for the Cracker Barrel. I was, barrel. I, I was, I swear to God, I was waiting for him to rip that thing up and throw it over the top, and then <laughs> he cut away real quick because he picks it up. It's like, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Like, oh, fuck. Throw my just, back out. <laughs> and he just throws it through. 
So after the match, Jericho grabs the mic, tells us that we should all thank him, that this is his promotion. It wasn't made for us. It was made for him. And then... The whole um, world needs to thank him as well, because if it wasn't for him, then the money they're all getting wouldn't be because of him. And we were transported back to 1996, and a man emerged from the crowd, only this man was not wearing all denim. This was... Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, walking through the crowd, and he walks in, and he attacks Jericho with the double-arm DDT, which could not be named for legal reasons, so he's thinking about a new name for this move, I assume. So we think, okay, well, I guess that's the direction they're going. He's got a problem with Jericho. But then, he hits the dirty deeds to the referee. Then, he decides to pick up Kenny Omega, and he wants to hit one on Kenny Omega, but Omega rolls out of the ring. They brawl up the ramp. They go to the stack of giant poker chips for the double or nothing set. Oh, they went through the fans. Dude, fans were scattering. You'd have thought it was Bruiser Brody and uh, Abdullah the Butcher. I mean, fans, they, they legit spread out for them to have a walkway. Uh, they were that scared. And so he takes them to the giant stack of poker chips and then. Hits. They climb up this shit. And he hits a Dirty Deeds on top of it. Doesn't he hit something else, too, to knock him off? He hits the Dirty Deeds on top of it, picks him up, and for some ungodly reason, hits an attitude adjustment (laughs) off the poker chips through the stage. Kenny Omega lays there, crashed through the stage, and that's how we go off the air. I saw some videos where he also flipped off the crowd on his way out, so John Moxley... Uh, the man, the star of uh, Cage Fighter, soon yes. to be released somewhere. And the man who was wrapping himself in barbed wire and got so much reaction for that video revealed his intentions. And so we all learned together that 90-day non-competes don't apply if you fulfill your contract, which is something that I brought up to you will certainly be changing in the future. <laughs> if you fulfill your contract... You will still have a waiting period. It makes you wonder, it. though, because see, when uh, when they let Ellsworth go, he still had to do a, non- a ninety-day non-compete. If if they cut you from your contract before it expires, it's a ninety-day non-compete. But if you go to the end of your contract and it just expires, then you, apparently you don't have it. So if they write you a contract for ten years and they fire you after one. You get a 90-day non-compete. But if you stay there the whole time, and you can apparently just show up... Ten years in one day, you can walk out on WCW Nitro and... Yeah, (laughs) which is definitely something I see them changing in the future. And especially the giant farewell that they did for him and the... (laughs) The the fuck you he gives back. The network special. And, well, I mean, his wife works for the company, so they couldn't be too mean to him. I mean, he did lose to a lot of people. He's one of the few people... That lost to EC3. I mean, I think he might be the one of two people that has lost to EC3 since he's been called up. So they did make him lose a lot, and they didn't treat him great on the way out, but they did give him that network special and give him the mic to say whatever he wanted at the end. And What did he say? I never watched the network special. Uh, he basically just said, you know, don't give up on your dreams or something. You know, pretty... Some regular BS... Yeah, pretty lame. Like, that was that house show, the final, the Shield's last call or whatever. And Roman didn't say anything. Seth said a couple things. And then, yeah, Dean just said, like, don't give up on your dreams. And, oh, I think he mentioned that Michael Hayes or somebody in the company told him that he was just an indie geek and he'd never amount to anything or something like that. And 
look where he is now or something like that. Like, follow your dreams, Patrick. Just something simple like that. But Gotcha. Overall, your thoughts on Double or Nothing and the $50 you spent on it? Well worth it. You missed out. You well, I saw part of it on a stream that was probably not quite 100% legit, but I saw a little uh, snippet of it, and I thought that uh, JR's call was okay, but Excalibur was excellent, and that third guy, I don't know who he is, uh, he sounded terrible. I didn't see a lot of major production errors other than that that battle royal being a bit of a cluster the way they all came out delayed and stuff like that but a very good start a very promising start and based on their performance without me spending the 50 dollars, i might give them a shot next time around but the first one i gotta take a pass on now we went into double or nothing coming off the heels of money in the bank where we got a lot of predictions incorrect Oh, boy, did we ever. I I don't know. You got one correct. Well, I said that Seth would beat AJ, so that worked. (laughs) And I said that Kofi would beat Kevin Owens. I think we both agreed on that. There was no way to predict who would win the men's Money in the Bank ladder match because he wasn't a participant. And it still hasn't been explained how he got into the match. He took Sami Zayn out, apparently. But that doesn't give you access. That doesn't just free up a spot for whoever, whoever wants it. Right, so we had a shocker in the men's Money in the Bank ladder match as that young, upcoming superstar on the rise, Brock Lesnar, (laughs) won the Money in the Bank, presumably to cash it in on their Saudi Arabia show. So this is a waste of the briefcase. Finn Balor took insane ladder bumps all match long, uh, including a sunset flip powerbomb to a ladder that was mounted in the ropes that didn't break, and he bounced about 10 feet in the air off this thing. And That was the scariest moment of the, the match. Yeah, and also Ricochet took some scary bumps in that match, and so all these guys busted their ass just to have Brock Lesnar walk out with Mustafa Ali holding the briefcase in his hands. But Patrick, you know, when you hear that music, you just freeze. You can't do anything. You can't just unhook a briefcase. And so Brock Lesnar is the Money in the Bank holder. And it seems like he's going to go after Seth Rollins, even though they teased maybe he might go after Kofi. But I don't see What if you went into business for yourself and, I mean, you have time to rip that bitch down anyway? Pretty sure Vince would be pissed. Yeah, they would probably fire you and then have to explain it in a really weird way the next night. Hey, if you want your release... That's the way to do it. Luke Uh, Harper, there you go. (laughs) He's not on TV. See, if they don't put you on TV, you can't do something bad to get fired. So uh, you just languish. We had Becky two belts lose one of her belts. Boy, in, in her match against Lacey Evans, I'm sorry, Patrick, Lacey Evans did not look up to snuff as far as an in-ring performer. You had given her a lot of praise. I did. I was. But uh, (laughs) she, that finishing sequence and this is Becky's had three matches in a row now on pay-per-view with botched finishes because even her match with Charlotte where she lost she lost the Smackdown title of Money in the Bank Charlotte's boot was about a mile and a half away from her head and she still had to sell it yeah. and that was the finish of that match yeah but that's coming after the Lacey Evans match where she fucked up trying whatever she was trying and then Becky just had to crawl over for the disarmor to get the win and it just looked really janky and uh yeah but then we had charlotte win her ninth 
title already. She's a nine-time whatever champion. I don't know if they count the Divas title reign or I, I don't know. She's had nine belts. And that lasted about two minutes because Bailey, the winner of the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, which I would have never guessed because they've been so cold on Bailey for so long. I really think they did this to send a big F you to Sasha Banks to say, see, you're sitting at home. Yeah. This could have been you. Yeah. But if it benefits one of your friends, I guess Sasha's probably okay with this, really. Well, and you talk about AEW taking shots. They have a, a lady named Kaylee who loves to smile and wave instead of give hugs. And she has a bow in her hair and she's all happy and girly and kiddish. And Bailey and Kaylee sound a lot alike. And they have a lot in common. So I, it makes me wonder if. WWE didn't know of this happening, seeing as how they had already seen this gimmick. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I I, th- I think you're reading a little too much into it because I don't think they had a lot of great options in the women's Money in the Bank match, honestly. I, I think that if Alexa Bliss had been healthy, she probably would have been who they picked. I mean, Carmella had already won it. Uh, they had been working on Dana Brooke, so that was an option. And we both picked Mandy Rose, and they just didn't go in that direction. Yeah, I don't... They didn't want to turn Charlotte face, I guess, and so they had a face beat the heel and cash in her money in the bank. But it did wonders for Bailey because they had, like I said, they had nothing going on for her. And it was like she was rejuvenated in two or three minutes because they did the big celebration with her in the crowd, and it was like all was forgiven. If they can get something out of this, if they can move some merchandise, if they can actually make a star out of her, which I've always thought they, she could be a huge... The female John Cena, basically. If they can get something out of this, then it was all worth it. I mean, they got what they wanted out of it, which was Charlotte getting this title reign that's empty that so she can beat her dad's imaginary title reign record in record time basically because i mean she's more than halfway there already it's true and also we were disappointed because the miz he let down mr miz and he lost to the best in the world shane mcmahon as shane fell out of his shirt which i was shocked that he fell out of his shirt and out of the cage and that most of this match happened in the cage no big high spot from shane here no big jump no brawling outside the cage no at the end i swear i thought he was going to suplex him in and I, I was did like, too. that's your high spot. I thought we were going to the well again. And we just fell out of our shirt, and that was that. And now Shane has moved on into a feud with Roman Reigns for Saudi Arabia. Rey Mysterio and Samoa Joe was cut short again. Back-to-back pay-per-views here. The one at WrestleMania went about a minute. This one went almost two. And they had to cut this one short because Samoa Joe busted his nose and Rey Mysterio separated his shoulder. So they both had injuries and wrapped that up in a minute 40. And Rey Mysterio defeated Samoa Joe, but likely going to have to vacate the title. By the time you're hearing this, you might already know the outcome. Of that and on the pre-show we had the Usos beat Daniel Bryan and Rowan so for nothing so Raw tag team beats SmackDown tag team champions so lots of good things happening over in the the leader 
of the world in pro wrestling. Roman Reigns has said that match should take three minutes. It took ten seconds. He beat Elias. An amazing recovery after a guitar shot. <laughs> yeah. Another turn of events. We had the AEW title unveiled and by a legend. By a legend, and it was. It's just beautiful and glorious, and it just magnificent. It's just. And then we have this other title just days before unveiled by another legend. A hardcore legend and it's shitty and it's crappy and it's not regal and it's not beautiful and it's not glory it looks better than the damn titles they got now which with a fucking w on it but that's not saying much uh no it looks like a clock from a (laughs) 50s themed restaurant Uh, the 24-7 title. Yes, this was uh, announced during the pay-per-view at Money in the Bank, and on Raw the next night, Mick Foley comes out and gives one of the least inspired Mick Foley promos I can remember. He says, uh, you know, this belt, we're going to shake things up on Monday Night Raw. We're going to do things differently now. And so, also, they made a change to the third hour Raw. Now the back of the lettering on Raw is black instead of white. That was the big, and they turned the crowd lights off for the third hour. So they made some weird changes to the third hour. He said, we're going to get crazy in this third hour we're gonna start to fight and when you want a title you gotta fight 24 7 so then he takes out of his bag a belt with a green strap and a big dark copper plate that looks like a clock and he says this is a 24 7 championship which harkens back to the old hardcore title and the 24 7 rule most closely associated with crash holly i would say is most people think of when they think of the 24-7 rule. The way they decided to award the first champion the belt. Now, originally the hardcore title was just handed to Mick Foley, so I can't say this was much better. Mick Foley says, okay, gonna dump this here in the ring. If you want it, come and get it. And Patrick, out came all the geeks. Every geek in the back. You didn't see Roman Reigns charging out for this thing. You didn't see Seth Rollins saying, I'd like two belts. I'd like to be Seth Rollins' two belts, like his girlfriend. Nope. Instead, Titus O'Neil takes the belt first and wins it. He's quickly defeated by EC3, who was then suckered into a car and pinned by R-Truth, who's kept it ever since. This is the Geek Fest title. If you have this... This means you are going nowhere. This means your career is probably coming to a close, uh, at least with them. You're going to work for AEW later. Yeah, something <laughs> is something to keep you busy, and I saw a lot of people that were excited about this, and their argument was that this gives people on the lower card, this gets them on TV. And to that I say, an IC Open Challenge or a U.S. title Open Challenge does the exact same fucking thing, only better. And it gets them on TV. And they're not, yeah, and they're not taking like a geek. Yeah. Where they're doing, where they're chasing each other through parking lots where Drake Maverick wanted this belt. So the smallest guy that they have employed basically wants this belt. And it's, so it's the hardcore title 24 7 without the hardcore rules, with PG hardcore rules. So I don't think you'll be seeing Dustin Rhodes' blood uh, coming out of any of these competitors for this prestigious belt, which. They put on WWEshop.com for $350, so if you want the 24-7 belt... Bullshit! Yes. Are you you, serious? Yeah. So if you want this belt, it's only $350, Patrick. I know that you love it. You'll have to defend it 24-7, so watch out. You never know when someone could lay their arm upon you while you're asleep and 
take this belt, but it's in the shop for $350. So there you go. Good God. It really is $350 fucking dollars. You know what kills me? The side plates on this thing now that I'm looking at it. They're just blank. They're just blank. So why even put them on there? Well, I was thinking they were going to put something on there when someone gets a lengthy title reign, but... It's 24-7, so you don't get a lengthy title reign. (laughs) Our truths already had it for almost a week, so that's Well, hell, it's probably changed hands at house shows between now and then. That's true. I haven't been keeping up with uh, (laughs) their YouTube page, so I don't know. At least it has buttons on it. It has snaps instead of Velcro, so that's an an improvement. Ah, well, it is is hideous. Yes. I can't believe we're paying $50 or less for a... Oh my god, we have the up, up, down, down replica belt on there now. And that's more expensive than the 24-7 belt. It is $380. I've not checked the shop in quite a while. Well, you've been missing out. I have. Still the only title worthy of beauty is the UK title. I'm just throwing that one out there. Oh, out of their current titles? Absolutely. It's not even close. So far fetched and out there it's not even funny one final note uh john moxley's contract he has the same contract uh type that jericho does and he can work international dates so you were telling me about this this is insane dude so he's not a hundred percent exclusive but it is a multi-year deal so yeah so if new japan comes calling he can go over there or if something pops up in uh, the uk or wherever he can go do it yeah, I well, especially for the money that he's probably commanding, I think it's kind of crazy. If you really want the stars to come over, and you, you're going to have to bow down to some of their requests, I guess. So these are some things that they are having to do to get these get these names to come over so it was my pick this week in our review and that's because 20 years ago this past week was the tragic accident that claimed owen hart's life so i wanted to pick a pay-per-view that featured owen hart in one of his most well-remembered matches one of no definitely my favorite owen hart match and that is wrestlemania 10 from march 20th 1994 at Madison Square Garden in front of 18,065 people. The tagline, 10 years in the making. And before we proceed, your thoughts on Owen Hart. Owen Hart was one of the greatest entertaining technical wrestlers of all time. Where Brett lacked in the charisma, which Brett didn't lack much in anything. I think uh, Owen picked that up. Owen had a more diverse move set because he could do high flying moves that yes. Brett rarely left the second rope and yeah. Owen was the rocket he loved jumping off the top rope so uh yeah I think that Owen was incredibly talented and it's terrible to think that he died as young as he did I mean he was in his 30s I think he was like 34 and if you didn't listen to it I posted the link to the uh post profile that Uh, John Pollock put together that had an interview with the guy that drove Owen to the arena that day, a fan that picked him up from the airport, just a a guy that loves collecting signatures and loves wrestling, and just Owen recognized him and said, hey, you want to give me a lift? And he found out all this stuff like the, about Owen telling him, no, I don't want to rehearse this. And originally, Max Minnie was supposed to be a part of it, too, so they almost had a really? double, double tragedy. Max Minnie was supposed to be strapped to his back. So... Wow. 
Yeah, and that got nixed at the last minute, but before that, Owen was telling them, I'm not going to rehearse this, I don't want to do this. And ultimately they said, well, we'll fire you if you don't do this. And he went in there and finally went to rehearsal. But this fan that drove him around is mentioned in Martha Hart's book, and that's how John Pollock found him and interviewed him in this uh, podcast. So Also interviewed was like John Merrick, who hosted live audio wrestling at the time, and then Jimmy Corderas, who was the referee in the ring when Owen Hart fell. So I can't imagine Jimmy Corderas witnessing because he, I would say, other than King and Jr., he was the closest to it happening and one of the first ones to yeah he get, almost get to him. He almost got hit by Owen. On he was that close on the on Owen's fall. He was feet from him and he turned around. He says in the podcast he didn't even know. It happened so fast that he had no idea what had just happened, and so he turns around and Owen's there, and he just couldn't even compute what had happened or what had occurred. Almost like PTSD kind of yeah. uh, memory from this like terrible evening. And uh, another person that John interviewed talked about, really, the show should have been shut down because that is a crime scene, basically. You have... Or if you had a workplace accident like that, OSHA would shut your fucking factory down. Yeah. For the day. Yeah, at least. You're not just going to be able to go on and yeah. finish the show. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane to think that they were able to do that. They just kind of rushed to get the get the show going again, I guess, to get what happened off the minds of the fans that were there and witnessed it. Well, yeah, they never told the live audience that he had passed away because I'm sure had the live audience known that, they might have left. And what a crazy thing to ask your, I mean, his co-workers I was, to say, go out there and work. I compare it to this, okay? And this was one of the most horrific things I've ever witnessed or been a part of with a wrestling show. And I was put in a situation that... I disagreed with. Um, there was a show. They didn't need a referee. They didn't need. They needed an announcer last minute. But I announced for the show during the middle of a, a match. A lady in the front row, who was up in years, had a heart attack and passed away. Ambulance is called. She was took out. Everything then bestowed on me to go back out there and get the crowd to pay closer attention to myself and try to get the show up and going again. That was one of the most difficult things and and i couldn't do it i you know how do you not acknowledge what just happened and no that wasn't in front of forty thousand people but it was still in front of enough people to realize like hey this is kind of in poor taste i didn't enjoy being put in that position and it's one of the few things in wrestling that i wish i had put my foot down and just said no i'm not doing it it makes me wonder now looking back if if others regret following through with what Vince was telling them to do and proceeding because I know I know specifically Jeff Jarrett did not want to be involved in what he was at right after that he was the next match and someone who was so close with with Owen I mean hell they were tag partners for what year and a half two years yeah, a long time. Traveled so. the road and everything. I can't imagine witnessing that and then having to go out there and wrestle in it. Yeah, and I, I don't think the crowd would have uh, rioted or anything if you told them what happened in the gravity of the situation or pay-per-view buyers or anything. Even if you have to refund the money, I think that's something you just have to do. It's just the right thing to do. 
and they didn't do it that night. And it's just crazy. It's crazy to me that there wasn't the police or somebody saying, sorry, this is out of your control now. We are stopping this event because right. there's been... This is a crime scene. A major accident has just occurred. So it's... I don't think it would ever happen like that again. Um, but that is unfortunately what happened to Owen Hart 20 years ago. So I wanted to pick a fonder memory of Owen. My favorite match of his from WrestleMania 10 and the rest of WrestleMania 10, which is... Okay. We open with highlights from WrestleMania 1, show the three men who want the belt 10 years later. Lex Luger, America's only hope, Bret Hart, and that evil Japanese Samoan man, Yokozuna. Vince welcomes us to New York City, Madison Square Garden. And his partner tonight is going to be Jerry the King Lawler, but first he introduces... Little Richard to lip sync America the he Beautiful. He did not lip sync. Yes, he sure as shit did. He did not. Look, I will say this. The recording he made of America the Beautiful or God Bless America or whatever it was is a great recording. It was whoever edited it and put it together and produced it did a fantastic job. It's beautiful. Now, Little Richard, as far as lip syncing it, did not do such a great job because... All of his little extra woos and all his little, you know, accent pieces that he puts in a song. He didn't remember uh, where those were. So very clearly you would see him, you know, miming the song and then there would be a woo and he wouldn't be wooing. And then at the very end of the song, he tries to thank the crowd and you hear how low his mic was and they have to boost it up for him to thank the crowd. So he lip syncs it. But I will say, like I said... For a recording, I don't mind it being lip sync because it, it, it sounded fine. It was a good version, but he didn't sing it live. And that local music festival I mentioned earlier once brought Little Richard to it. They did. And we it went. was awful concert. Because he turns, he turns in the middle of a concert at somebody on the side of the stage and says, Shut up! Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Or he says it to the crowd. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like in the middle, just stop saying. But he wasn't even doing his hits. He was no. doing cover songs and just random ramblings like he didn't do tutti frutti or like all of his little richard stuff like none of that like he just sat on at the piano and did a few cover songs and yelled shut up people. <laughs> it was awful so vince says what a stirring rendition of america the piano. oh it was amazing they tossed to the owen and brett promo video this all Started at Survivor Series 1993. This spot was originally supposed to be for Bruce, but then they redecided and said Owen instead will be the evil heart in the Hart family. This was when the Hearts all teamed up, a Survivor Series of all the Hart brothers. And, That's right. And Brett, of course, being the face uh, that he is, he said, no, there's no way I'll wrestle Owen. I can't wrestle my brother. No. Similar to a story between Undertaker and Kane a few years later, they team up. They reconcile. They challenge the Quebecers for the tag belts at the Royal Rumble. Brett couldn't make the tag, so Owen, this is when he kicked his knee out of his knee, and Owen turned on his brother again. Owen wants his match in an interview with Johnny Polo and apparently gets it. We don't really see Brett's response, but he gets it. No Fink to start the night. Bill Dunn and his mullet intros 
the King of Hearts, Owen Hart, who walks through that Golden X, one of the early custom WrestleMania assemblies. Like we mentioned, after WrestleMania 9, they finally started jazzing it up a bit. So even though this was in the shits of the new gen era and they had no money, they at least did a Golden X for doors that slid open and then black and gold ring ropes. So there was something to the design of well, WrestleMania. I thought WrestleMania 9 was the first like actual characteristic oh, yeah. WrestleMania with the whole the Roman significance. Coliseum. Well, I'm just saying the significance of the entryway and all that. It was done very well. And like you said, with the this one being the opening doors with the X sliding, and it was just very WrestleMania staging, even though this really isn't a stage. Uh, but yeah, it's a start of something that went on to take place for years upon years to come. They didn't do much for 11 next year. (laughs) Or for 12, really. They were kind of basic when I really think about it. Well, 11 and 12 were kind of... And 13. They did 13. Austin walked through the shattered glass at 13. Oh, okay. All right. And I mean, you did have a zip line at 12, so... Oh, excuse me. Yeah, custom entrances would... uh, Instead of custom sets, they did custom entrances the next few years. Owen comes out in Bret Hart glasses on his head and you know what? He's gonna rip them up. Even though he's probably spent six bucks at the shop zone for those. He I'm pretty rips sure, them up. I'm pretty sure his brother gave them to him. Then Bret's music hits and he's out to a big pop. He gives a kid his glasses who I almost think is Owen's kid. It's an Owen Hart fan because he does not like these glasses and he sticks his tongue out when he is given them. Let's go Brett Chance, start the match. Then a fireman carry takeover by Brett, and Owen kips up. Brett gets Owen in a waist lock, and he makes it to the ropes. Owen gets a waist lock on Brett, who hurls Owen through the ropes. Owen gets in the ring and then just smacks the taste out of Brett's mouth. Owen and Brett reverse hammer locks, and then Brett works over Owen's arm until Owen pulls him down by his hair and stomps his face, which gets the finger pointed at his face by Brett, which on that Owen Heart of Gold DVD... Uh, They had that aerial camera, which was set up for the ladder match, and they get a great angle of this exchange, which I don't know why they don't hang this camera up in the middle of the ring every night, because... It is very cool. It gets great angles, especially in the ladder match when they use it. Brett puts Owen in an arm bar. Owen elbows to escape. Brett leapfrogs Owen, catapults him, and then clotheslines him right out of the ring. Owen starts to walk down the aisle. He's out of here. Fuck this thing. Brett brings him back. Brett smacks Owen. Inside cradles him for a near fall. Brett then tries a crucifix for a near fall. A spinning heel kick from Owen, though, puts Brett down. Owen stomps Brett right out of the ring. He runs the hitman's leg into the steel post. Owen screams at Brett. They get back into the ring, and Brett gets whipped to the buckle, and he takes a backbreaker. Then Owen puts Brett in a camel clutch. Brett elbows out, but gets caught with a power slam, and Owen gets a near fall. Owen hits a crossbody off the second rope, but Brett rolls over for a two count. Owen knees Brett's back and slaps on a chin lock. Owen tries to slam, but Brett's weight. For some reason, Brett turns into a giant here, and Owen falls on his back for a near fall. Brett rolls out of the ring. Owen tries to suplex Brett into the ring. Brett escapes, and then Owen hits a bridging German suplex for a near fall. Brett blocks a vertical suplex and small packages Owen for a two count. Owen hits a leaping tombstone to Brett, but then he misses the diving headbutt from the turnbuckle. 
Owen then beats Brett to his feet, but gets atomic dropped, clotheslined, and then Russian leg sweeped, and then he eats a backbreaker. Brett hits his second rope elbow. This only gets a near fall. Owen hits his insiguri. Then he goes for the sharpshooter, but Brett punches him in the face, goes for a sharpshooter of his own, but Owen escapes. Owen tries a victory roll for a near fall. Brett hits a Pescado to Owen, who is outside of the ring, but Brett, oh, his knee is out of his knee again. Brett sells his knee. So Owen just seizes the opportunity, smacks it against the post three times. Owen mocks Brett's selling by selling his own leg for a second, which I thought was awesome. Then Owen locks Brett in a modified figure four, drops knees on Brett's knee. Owen then just does not stop the assault on Brett's knee, just destroying this man's knee, who has a title shot later on in the night, by the way. He slaps on a figure four and poses while Brett is in pain. This is classic Owen, two hands up in the air pose. Brett reverses the pressure. They roll into the ropes. Now Owen is limping around, too. Owen puts Brett in the corner and kicks at his knee. Brett hits an insiguri. Ooh, Brett, don't do this move ever again, pal. Uh, Leave it to the master. That hits Owen in his shoulder. Brett headbutts Owen, whips him chest first into the buckle, followed by a leg drop. Brett lands his bulldog for a two count. Brett hits a pile driver, but Owen kicks out. Brett takes him upstairs for a superplex, which gets a big pop. The crowd thinks this is the finish. Owen kicks out at two for a huge reaction. Brett locks Owen in a sleeper. Owen low blows Brett to escape behind Earl Hebner's back. Owen goes for the sharpshooter and gets it. Brett reverses it into one of his own, but Owen makes it to the ropes. Brett whips Owen to the corner, gets up in the electric chair position, tries a victory roll, but Owen just sits down. One, two, three. Owen just beat the number one contender for the WWF world title and just stumbles to the back while Brett sulks in the ring because no one sells a loss or an injury better than Brett Hart. (laughs) He is pissed. Yes, and he is stunned. Silence (laughs) befalls the crowd at Madison Square Garden. Owen, so excited to get to his interview, can't wipe the spit off his face. And... Talks I, with Todd. I beat you, brother. Yeah. I told you I was going to, and I did it. I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> I'm the best there is, the best there was. And now I'll get the recognition I truly deserve. And then Todd says, hey, do you think Brett will be able to compete? Owen says, he doesn't have a hope in hell in any title match. I take nothing away from him. He's a great wrestler. But, but he, after the beating I just gave him, he has no hope in hell of winning any title. Awesome. Except I was focused on the spit on Owen's face, but... I, pl- I Please put that entire right here. Vince, thank you very much. I'm standing with Owen Hart, the Rocket, who obviously surprised a lot of people tonight. Owen, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm up on cloud nine. Red Hart, brother, I beat you. I said it all along. Now I am the best there is, the best there was, and I am going to be the best there ever will be, brother. I beat you tonight. Madison Square Garden, I said it all along, Brett. And now, now maybe I'll start getting the recognition I deserve because I'm a better man than you, Hitman, and I'm going to beat you. Here at WrestleMania, I beat you, and this is a great moment for me, Brett. Oh, and let me ask you for just a second, do you think Brett's going to be able to compete? Obviously, a championship match on the line. Will he be able to compete? Well, after the beating I just gave him, and I'm not taking anything away from him. He's a great fighter, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But after the beating he just received from me, I don't think he's got a hope in hell in coming out there and trying to win any world title match. There you go. The Rocket, Owen Hart, ladies and gentlemen, and what a start to WrestleMania 10. 
So what did you think of this match? I Ash? love this match. Oh, this match is awesome to me because there's nothing really like the Cody and Dustin match. A match between two brothers. It's a simple story. Yeah. And it's told here. And just like what happened to Double or Nothing, you have the little brother beating the big brother. Yeah. And just all the things that come with being the little brother, always being jealous of your big brother's success, wanting to be like your big brother. Getting picked on, getting put down. I mean, his big brother had already been tag, IC, and world champion, and he had always been low-card, mid-card. Yeah comedy fodder and now here he is beating him on the biggest stage of them all well i mean yeah hell he was tagging with coco beware just a year and a half ago oh man <laughs> high energy and i just think this match is so great because it's just basic wrestling yeah like there's not they don't have to do brett didn't have to cut a chunk out of his forehead to get the story across <laughs> no they just had a really great wrestling match they there was did. no no fuck-ups at all here. Like, just other... Well, Brett Sinsiguri could use some work. But <laughs> other than that, just so smooth. Rest holds. They were still working through rest holds, so it yeah. wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to sit here for a minute and we're going to just talk and think about what we're doing next. Yeah. Like, I think this is better than their cage match. Uh, I know that some people think prefer their cage match to this, but I like this match better. I like this match better out of the cage match, but this is your favorite Owen, and I think we covered my favorite Owen, which was him winning the uh, King of the Ring. Yeah, well, that was a, a big night for him. I think this was bigger, um, yeah. even though, I mean, it did earn him that SummerSlam cage match title shot. But just like they did so many other times, like they just never, they never moved him to the main event role that he should have been in. You just beat the guy who would, spoiler alert, go on to win the world championship that night and even had a spot coming out and, you know, glaring at his brother for. Yeah winning this belt and which which means he's at the top of the he beat the man who's the champ you know yeah in the same night pretty much clean i mean well he did low blow him one time yeah so just a real missed opportunity here but when he won the intercontinental title and he got to kind of yeah he had other highlights in his the high the ic title with him and triple h was the most significant rivalry other than brett that i truly remember that he he shined he showed that he he carried and i'm gonna it's gonna piss a lot of people off he carried triple h through that whole thing the curtain jerker was perhaps the best match on this card so we could have just cut it off here but luckily this was when wrestlemania was still just three hours so not two and a half actually yeah not too bad to keep going here tonight todd tosses to a wrestlemania moment we'd be doing this all night they were all voiced over by gorilla monsoon who's going to talk to us about every single wrestlemania that ever happened they talked about wrestlemania one in the opening Uh, it didn't get a wrestlemania moment it was talked about in the opening uh but wrestlemania two of course the highlight of all of wrestlemania two patrick not king kong bundy and hogan in the cage but the no. Battle Royal. Well, yeah. That Andre the Giant one. Or what about Mr. T and... Uh, oh, the boxing match. Piper in the boxing match. No, that's all forgotten. This is all you need to know is that there was a Battle Royal. Bill Dunn introduces the hair club for men guy, Cy Sperling. He gave Fink hair. And I'm in the minority here, but I thought Fink looked fine with the hair. Apparently other people did not. But he gave Fink so a head So you think of hair. Fink looked good with hair? 
Yeah, it looked fine. I, I'm really bad at spotting wigs, though. If you told me he always looked like that, I probably would have just said, yeah, it looks natural to me. I don't, I'm just terrible at it. Fink, with hair, is now our announcer for the rest of the night. He introduces the mixed tag match. Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon, who had come to this company hoping for a match with Sherry Martell. She never got it. Instead, she gets this instead, taking on Doink. Doink. And Dink. Yes, because a woman is equivalent to a little person in Vince McMahon's <laughs> eyes. I wish you were making that up, but that is so That's true. That's what we were basically told here. That is so true. Doink is a man. Bam Bam Bigelow is a man. Luna and Dink, a woman and a little person, are merely just circus freaks. They do not deserve to take on their own kind, basically. So... <laughs> their own kind. Yes. So, uh, Luna here, just, uh, she was put into the legacy wing, I, I believe, this year at the Hall of Fame. She was, finally. But had a uh, really rough go of things in both WCW and WWF. Just never, just let this lady wrestle. She comes from a great wrestling family. She's a good worker, and they just would never put her into matches. And when they did, it was for shit like this. And this is what you get. It's 1994, so Doink is a face now. He's no longer a bad guy. Instead, it's Bam Bam Bigelow is the bad guy. Cy Sperling, the hair club for Ming Guy, gets sprayed with Doink's water flower. Bam Bam wastes no time beating you know, down Doink. With, with the water on the hair, it didn't It didn't move, so there you go. It's water-resistant hair. It's water-resistant hair. Just pointing that out. Bam Bam just beats the shit out of Doink. Doink can't even get his jacket off to start fighting him. Bam Bam drop kicks him, slams him. Doink recovers, throws Bam Bam to the buckles, and then slaps on an arm bar. Bam Bam misses an elbow and Dink gets a tag. Dink wants Bam Bam, but he must face Luna. Those are the rules. Dink smacks Luna on the ass, which she was wearing a very revealing thong-type bottom. So Dink gets some smacks on Luna's bottom. Luna then takes control, beats up Dink on the middle rope. He runs around her, and she eventually just kicks him in the face. Dink shoves her and tries a top rope move, but Luna just walks out of the way. Luna scoop slams Dink, goes to the top rope, misses a splash. Dink tags in Doink, who then drop toe holds Bam Bam Bigelow. Doink gets clotheslined out of the ring. Dink distracts Bam Bam, who misses a falling headbutt. Doink comes back in, tries a sunset flip, but Bam Bam just sits down, crushes Doink's sternum. Doink hits a DDT to Bam Bam and tries the whoopee cushion, but misses, which would really suck on your tailbone when you miss this move, (laughs) by the way. Bam Bam then just clotheslines Doink, gets bounced into Dink, which knocks him off the apron. Flying headbutt, one, two, three, Bam Bam Bigelow gets the win. If you had asked me in 1994, if we were watching this live in 1994, and you said... That guy is going to main event next year's WrestleMania. I would have said, hell no. <laughs> yeah, the guy wrestling the clown? No, I don't think he'll be in the main event. You're crazy. I bet you $100 he won't. I'll take I, that money. And then I would have had to, yeah, uh, never speak to you again, so I wouldn't have to pay you the 100 bucks. But yes, this is how you follow a five-star classic with a Monday Night Raw match here between Doink and Dink and Bam Bam and Luna. Really bad stuff here. Dink got a little bit of a splash on his back there. Yeah, because Dink tries to go after Bam Bam after the match, but the heels just beat him up. But Doink recovers 
and scares off the heels. They're going to go for a double splash on poor old Dink, and Dink rolls out of the way, except for Luna lands right on his back. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that that blown spot in the match. Yeah, that, that sucked. Yeah, and so then she just, like, gets up, shoves him out of the way, and then sells her stomach like she's, oh, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. Yeah, you could tell she was pissed. <laughs> yeah, she was pissed. So, yeah, they tried a double splash on Dink, and luckily, at least he rolled into Luna's splash and not Oh, Bam God, Bam. if he rolled into Bam Bam's, that'd have been horrible. Uh, yeah, this match was shit. <laughs> Hail to the Chief plays as the fake President Clinton is in the stands with IRS sitting The president. Behind. The yeah. president. Bill Clinton. Well, they'd never call him Bill Clinton. You just... Is there. This is back in the day of... Uh, Jay Leno and David Letterman would often have presidential imposters on. And so you can do that as long as you don't say their actual names. You just say Mr. President. Because then it's a parody. It could be anybody, whatever. You're not misrepresenting. But this is Bill Clinton. No, Patrick, I've got some bad news. Bill Clinton did not go to WrestleMania 10. This is Bill Clinton! No, I'm sorry, it's not. It's just a guy. Listen. No. I, uh, I'm, I'm a very big wrestling fan. I, uh, I, 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 I left the White House to come to WrestleMania 10. I, uh, I, uh, Your impression is just about as good as this guy's is, honestly. <laughs> Mr. President, we just, uh, take a second of your time, sir. I, I don't want to bother you. Um, sorry, a little nervous. It's all right. I wondered if maybe you could tell us if you're enjoying WrestleMania 10 or... Well, Todd, I'll tell you, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of wrestling. I have been for years. And uh, there's nothing like the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I wouldn't miss one of these things for all the, thing, all in the world, all the money in the world. I'll tell you, it's really a thrill to be standing here and talking to you. Everybody's at WrestleMania 10. I just wondered if you were aware that Erwin uh, R. Scheister, he's a, a IRS. Well, it's, uh, it's no secret that... Uh, I have a little problems right now, but uh, Erwin and I have uh, talked them over a bit, and I think that we're going to be able to th- work things out. You are. Yes, I do believe so. Thank you so much for talking with us. Okay. Such a Great pleasure. To be here. All right. Erwin, what are you doing in the, bo- in the presidential box? I don't understand. Well, first of all, pre- Mr. President, I'd like, to, I'd like to thank you very much for this opportunity, and I must say you're doing a fine job of running the country. And also, congratulations on raising the taxes because it's high time the tax cheats out there started paying their fair share. So Vince must have just... (laughs) (laughs) I gave his fucking belly laughs to this shit because he just... uh, Why? I'll never know. He's got IRS sitting behind him and once again, probably... I said it last time, this may actually be the final appearance of Jack Tunney. They are in the presidential suite, and sure as shit, Jack (laughs) Jack Tunney Tunney is next to President Bill Clinton, in quotation marks. So, there he's just uh, hanging out. We'll go back to him later and check in and see how he's doing. Vince tosses to a WrestleMania 3 moment, and they talk about the Hogan match. The stare down, of course, not the slam, as Hogan had already signed with WCW or was in Japan at this point in uh, spring of 94. So he hadn't yet, I think, debuted in WCW, but uh, had turned his back on the company. And so 
fuck showing your slam of Andre the Giant. Instead, we'll just show you the stare down. When actually they could have shown... Savage Steamboat. Yeah, that's exactly what I would... Especially when you have Savage coming up in just a little while. Show a little Sav- while my ass is next. Well, you don't want to show people how old he is. Cause that's, <laughs> that's the problem. That's true. Falls count anywhere in matches. Madison Square Garden. Okay. Bigger pop than fucking Bret Hart. <laughs> Macho Man's music hits. Holy shit. This... Rebook WrestleMania right now, Vince. Change it around. You fucked up. This dude is still a big star. You fucking sidelined him. This place is going fucking nuts <laughs> to see Macho Man, and he soaks up every fucking bit of he it. Does, he man. does, This is especially his... especially after the match when he goes downstairs. Yeah, this is his final WrestleMania, and he does not miss a beat of it. Like no. he's gonna soak it all in here, like. I guess he knew that Hogan probably was like, hey, brother, come down here to Atlanta. We got some money for you. And so he probably knew he was one foot out the door, and he lived it up here. And just another, in addition to Owen, a really big missed opportunity with Vince. Like, dude, I mean, this guy is still, like, a huge star. Like, he had plenty of years left, at least three or four years left of decent matches where you could at least get people over. Even if you just job this dude out, like, most of the time, he's still going to get huge reactions. Because he's the macho man. He's going to face his, in real life, good friend, Brian Adams, Crush. Evil Japanese turncoat Crush, who was, of course, born in Hawaii, but has decided to join the people right across the ocean, the Japanese. Shaka Khan. Yeah, Shaka Bra, no. Shaka Fuck You America. That's what it is now. Savage isn't going to let him get in the eye away. Now, this is a Falls Count Anywhere match, okay, Patrick. Okay, no, no. This is not a Falls no, Count Anywhere. No, that's what they said. This is a clusterfuck. <laughs> no, the rules are very easy to understand. Oh, are they now? Explain these to me. Okay, so Falls, multiple of them, can take place anywhere. And then you have to make it to the ring for some reason in 60 seconds, and then the match continues if you make it in the ring. It makes total sense. Does it? Yeah. Not a fucking lick. (laughs) So, normal falls count anywhere is... One fall. One fall. Anywhere you'd like it. Anywhere you want it to be. Oh, by the way, (laughs) at Money in the Bank... Shane got a rope break in that fucking cage match. (laughs) I saw that shit too. I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, anyway. Go on. So, for some ungodly reason, we're having a falls count anywhere. Race to the ring. Race to the ring. Last man standing. It's very complicated. So Now, so, does the person who makes the pinfall have to be making it to the ring? I would say so, yeah. It seemed like it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's very complicated. So, after you score your pinfall... You, you have to... You, you score your pinfall outside of the ring. You then, yeah, what would have happened if you just scored it in the ring? Well, that's the thing. Savage hits the elbow, and Savage could go for the pin, and it's like, well, no, fuck. No, he had I to roll him he out. He had to roll him the fuck out and pin him out on the right in front of the announce table and then get back in. <laughs> fucking doing normal. Did he just not want to lose to him normally? Did we have to? F- Got to protect Crush, brah. No, I don't know. I really don't know why this match was structured this way. Was it Savage being difficult? And was like, this is how I want to do it, brother. I guess Vince was just really insistent that Crush get something out of this, and so he got that quick pinfall right off the top. But that's all he got, really. Well, they could have had like a 10-minute match, and Crush could have owned his ass for most of it. 
I don't know. I don't know what the thinking was in this match. This was a clusterfuck, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, do you actually have movesets, or are you going to call this, or do we need to just... Uh, there's not a lot to call. No, there's I'll, not. So Savage, not going to wait for him to get in the ring. So the match already begins oddly, because it begins... The bell rings when they're both in the aisle way. Correct. Crush, just Atomic drops him in the aisle way, hits a backbreaker... Press slams him, drops him throat first on the guardrail. One, two, three, Crush just ran right through Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. Now, the crowd is shocked because that's the end of the match. <laughs> yeah. Or so they thought as well. It would make sense for them to feel that way because, oh, that explains why Randy came out here and fucking grandstand and hot dogged for three minutes and he wrestled for one. Yeah. That makes sense. So we then hear Howard Finkel say... Macho Man has 60 seconds to get into the ring for this match to continue. Yeah, and what? It literally, yeah. And you're like, the match is over. What the fuck? And so, and dude, he milks every fucking bit of this 60 seconds to oh, go every down to two up seconds. to the final 60 second thing, both of these guys, they just, they wanted to get every second. Yeah. Out of it. Well, I mean, of course you have to. So, and there wasn't a counter on the screen, so it's not like you could count along at home. Oh, like, God, no. You had to listen to Howard. Crush runs, gets in the ring. Macho Man stumbles to his feet, gets hit by Mr. Fuji, and still beats the fucking count with two seconds left. Crush just goes right back to kicking Macho Man's ass. He puts Macho Man in the tree of woe and Crush punches at him. Crush gets some salt from Fuji, but Macho knocks it in his face. Macho jabs him, delivers an elbow to the face, an axe handle from the top rope, a scoop slam to Crush. Macho Man calls for the elbow, nails it, but doesn't cover Crush. Because as you mentioned... You can't cover in the ring, because then Crush is already in the ring, which means he would beat the count. So then, Macho Man has to go outside, grab the giant Crush bra, drag Crush bra outside the ring bra to cover him bra, and he gets the fall bra. And then he has to get into the (laughs) ring bra, and he has 60 seconds to get to his feet and roll back in bra. Yeah, but he... He gets 60 seconds from right there ringside. It, <laughs> Macho Man at least had to come down the aisle way a little bit. I mean, it's the MSG aisle way, so it's three feet. But <laughs> at least he had some distance to go. <laughs> Fuji tries to wake him up, and he finally does by dumping ice water on him, which would not is not a medical way to wake someone up. If yes, I just knock yes, you out. Oh, okay, thanks, Dr. Patrick. <laughs> yes, it is. You're the worst doctor in the world. <laughs> Uh, we have a patient here. He was found unconscious. Oh, just dump some ice water on him. He'll wake right back up. It works every time. So that wakes him up. He gets back into the ring before the count's up. Macho Man gets back, body dropped out of the ring. Mach runs him into the steps, clotheslines him over the guardrail, but Crush just kicks him down. They battle in the entryway, and Macho takes Crush to the back of the arena. Again, before the era of the Titan Tron, so this crowd doesn't know what the fuck's going on, Macho Man ties Crush by the feet to some scaffolding so he can't make it back to the ring after he pins him. They brawl in the back, and so he just conveniently has this apparatus, which isn't workout equipment or anything. It's just a random thing with a pulley and a rope that Macho Man must have spent all day building for this very moment. So after he pins Crush, after he beats him down, he ties him up by the feet, but doesn't do a very... He didn't learn his knots in Boy Scouts. He, he 
pulls him up to where Crush is hanging upside down. Right. He ties it, ties the rope to something to hold Crush hanging upside down. Didn't tie it too great. No, because as soon as he walks off, the shit gives way and Crush <laughs> falls back down. <laughs> so Crush crushes his skull on the concrete. Macho decks Fuji in the ring on his way back and makes it back because Crush is unconscious from this whatever this was. He and, has to figure out. And he can't untie no, an he's, untied he's knot. He's selling him. He's, well, it's a pre-tied knot, too, that just slide slid on his feet. So he is having to sell for 60 seconds. Okay, 45 seconds. <laughs> taking he's too his, stupid taking to take these, something off his feet. To take this loop off his feet, and which if I was crushed and this happened, here's what I'm doing. I'm take t- your boots off. I'm, I, one of the two, yeah. And then I'm going to crawl to the ring and just not make it in time. That would have been an amazing finish to the match, honestly. Even I would overlook all the silly bullshit had Crush crawled with this giant apparatus stuck to him, crawled down the aisleway, even just out of the door of it. Yeah. Because at, le- at least the crowd gets something out of that. But. Right. Or crawls back through where they came through, through the crowd, and the camera's picking him up, and he just doesn't get there in time. Like, I'm I'm not going to be crushed for 45 seconds and sell the fact that I can't get a, a loop off my feet. <laughs> well... He did, and and this is why the man. And he's not strung up either. I mean, he's laying down doing that. He could work on this. It wasn't like he was still hung upside down. Right. It looked terrible, and it made him look like a dumbass. That's why he would have to uh, become a biker in a few years and totally reinvent himself. Comes to jailbird. That's right. Todd Pagano. Did he really get arrested? By the way. Yeah, he did. He went to jail for like steroids or something. Really? Let me look up old Brian Adams, see what he went to the slammer for. Not the singer, the wrestler. (laughs) On March 13th, 1995, so a year later, he was arrested at his home in Kona, Hawaii, after narcotics officers searched his home and discovered 500 units of anabolic steroids and several unregistered semi-automatic guns. He was released on a $10,275 bail. On October 28th, 95, he was sentenced to five years probation. So, <laughs> yeah. Five, okay, five. probation. So how the fuck did he wrestle and do his probation? When they give you probation, sometimes they'll make exceptions for work because that's how you support yourself. If you say, I'm a pro wrestler and I travel all around the country to pro wrestle, they'll let you do it, I guess, because... I've seen stories of comedians that have been arrested and had, like, drug charges and stuff, and they get probation, and they can go tour the country. And it's just because that's they let you do your job, basically. But if he said, I just want to tour, I just want to go on vacation, they'd probably say no. But, but it's also crazy that he was brought back to the company after this, considering Vince was on trial for distributing steroids. Yes. And here you have a guy arrested with 500 units of steroids. Yes. And you say, ah, come on back. We're desperate. Please come back. He was brought back in August of 1996. So, ten months after being sentenced on these charges, he's brought back. They'll take anybody back. I, they will take Cody Rhodes back one day if he has to come back. You know what I want to see? Triple H on his hands and knees crawling to Cody asking for a job. Brother. Oh, that would be something. That'll never happen. 
Uh, <laughs> Todd is in the presidential box again with the fake president. The fake president says, oh, I'm enjoying it. The president says he can work out his tax stuff with IRS. IRS thanks him for raising taxes, which, to be fair... George H.W. Bush raised taxes as well, so (laughs) both of them did this. Uh, IRS thanks him because now, you know, all these tax cheats, they're going to have to pay. Todd talks about WrestleMania Fan Fest. Before Access, there was Fan Fest. What do you do at Fan Fest? You can dunk, doink, in a dunk tank. That is almost a tongue twister. You can call a match with your friend before they made Michael Cole sit there and call a match with you. And then you can have a sumo match in those sumo suits that you see at minor league baseball games. And because he's injured this year, Undertaker, not at WrestleMania, the first one he missed, by the way. Paul Bear photo ops. You can stand in a coffin with Paul Bear in 1994. So that was what FanFest was all about. Why was Taker injured? He had a back injury in... That was his ride-off with the casket and Yokozuna and all that stuff when he rose from the dead. But then uh, rose but didn't come to WrestleMania, so there you go. Macho Man says, ooh, yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. But we have seen everything from Macho Man tonight as he goes into the theater under MSG where the Lions Den match was, and he just parties with the people. Maybe we didn't see the... Highlights of him at WrestleMania 3 because we saw highlights of him at WrestleMania 4 next. Ah. Where he wins the belt. Oddly enough, they crop out that guy that celebrates with him after he wins the belt. It's really strange <laughs> what they did here. And his uh, manager that he was happened to have at the time, uh, his escort, was also cropped out of his winning footage. But that's the way it is. Leilani Kai is going to take on Alundra Blaze for the women's belt. Didn't have a lot of time for this match back in 1994 in the WWF, but they did at least put it on WrestleMania. Alundra Blaze leg sweeps Leilani Kai, who was at WrestleMania 1, by the way. She looks totally out of place. She looks like Dick Murdoch from that Rumble, where he looked totally out of place. Leilani Kai looked like she stepped out of a time machine here. 80s. Oh, her hair was still definitely <laughs> in the 80s, and she looked more like Moolah. Like See, she... I love Leilani. She's, she's awesome. Blaze leg sweeps her, hits a sunset flip for near fall. Another one, though, fails as Kai choke throws Alundra Blaze. Kai slams her for a near fall. A Hurricane Rana by Alundra Blaze gets a two count. Kai throws her out of the ring by the hair. A double underhook suplex by Leilani Kai gets a two count. A suplex by Alundra Blaze gets a two count. A bridging German, one, two, three. Alundra Blaze retains her women's title. And she would be getting it ready for the trash can in a year or so. We have Mula, Nikolai Volkov, Freddie Blassie, and Lou Albano out here watching the festivities, even though Mula is the only one that, and Blassie, they get name checked. But the Did other you say two, it was beside Mula? No, who was May that? Young! Oh, imagine that. A preview of the Attitude Era here. <laughs> With Mula and May Young. Speaking of eras. We go to another WrestleMania highlight, this one from Five, where Roddy Piper. Uh, blew out the cigarette of Morton Downey Jr. WWF Tag Team title match is next, and ooh, we are in the shits of the tag team division. (laughs) It's men on a mission out first. Yes, mom is out to take on We are the Quebecers! Yes, even though they came out to the Mounties theme song. And even 
Yeah, Vince, Vince himself calls them the Mounties. Vince, who fucking names <laughs> these people, says, they're the Mounties. Oh, wait, no, they're not. They're the Quebecers. <laughs> and speaking of that heavy egg on their face, whether the Mounties, they're not the Mounties. No, they're not. They're the Quebecers. They're also the champions. Vince McMahon, owner, operator of Titan Sports Inc. doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Why did he not call them the Mounties? I don't know. Why did he give them the Mounties suit, the Mounties theme, and then say, ah, they're the Quebecers? I don't know. It's so weird. Maybe he was like, oh, because the Mountie was an old wrestler. Remember, this is the new gen. The next fucking match we have, though, is with Earthquake, right? Two of our guest referees are... Our champion, Bret Hart, was wrestling in the 80s as well, yeah. so it's... I, I don't know. They would pick and choose who's old and who's not. <laughs> Macho Man, he's old. Roddy Piper, no, he's hip and cool. He can be a referee and he can be in a match next year. Or he can be a match at WrestleMania 12. Oh, that was one hell of a match. Todd is with Ronda Shear from Up All Night on USA, who I'm sure they were forced to have on here, because Raw's ratings were probably in the shits, so so they probably had to have someone from USA. Who is who is Rhonda Shear? Because I do not remember Up All Night. Up All Night was they would just play movies late at night and she would just host them. Sort of like dinner and a movie on TBS oh, okay. where right. she would sort of just intro, like coming back from commercial, just say gotcha. whatever's up. Well, she was like... She was on Young and Restless too, I think. She had some other... She was an actress? Apparently. You couldn't tell from tonight how good her acting was? Shit. I, t- never mind. I gotta censor myself here. She acted like she really wanted to be here tonight, <laughs> didn't she? Shawn <laughs> Michaels interrupts because he wants to bang Ronda Shear, you see. But... Because he's a heartbreak kid. But Burt Reynolds then shows up and says that Sean, he should shave his chest, even though Burt Reynolds is a very hairy man, or was, and, uh... So Sean just kind of takes offense and is pushed aside, and he unzips the jacket of Burt Reynolds. To he's like, I want to see what you have under there. Then, and you just see his suit and tie, and so Sean gets pissed and walks yes. away. Sean looked like a geek here. <laughs> But he would redeem himself later tonight. Johnny Polo, the Raven, is the manager of the Quebecers for some reason. Why is he their manager? I don't know. This is, of course, Jacques Rougeau and PCO. That's right. In 2019, one of Ring of Honor's hottest acts, the current NWA Tag Team Champion, PCO, Pierre-Carl Oulette, right here at WrestleMania fucking 10. Still, Why did he not want to be a part of last night's paper? Because looking Well, because he's got an exclusive contract with ROH now. Well, not exclusive, but other ROH people weren't there last night, so... I know, but was it strictly because he just didn't want to lose, or was there more to it than that? You mean, why didn't he sign with AEW instead of ROH? Yeah. I, I think ROH just offered him the money first. He just took the first deal that came along. I think he would have signed with AEW. He would have fit right in in that battle royal. Yeah. He took the first deal that came his way, and now he's... Kicking he said it was the most money he's ever been offered for a ring of honor. So that's crazy to think about. Once Marty Skrull's contract's up and he leaves, uh, they're in some trouble because... I love Jay Lethal, but you gotta have something else going on. I think he'll leave too. I don't know. We'll see. The Quebecers double team Mabel until he stops him. 
Mo takes on Pierre, but tags in Mabel, who leg drops Pierre. Mo takes back over. Pierre dumps Jacques on Mo. Then Pierre gets launched onto Mo out on the aisleway by Jacques. He picks him up and throws him out of the ring. Pierre misses a leg drop on Mo. Mabel gets the hot tag, runs through the Quebecers. The Quebecers want a double-team suplex on Mabel, but of course he's fat, remember, so they can't do that. But they do eventually accomplish it. They find their strength, their Mountie strength, even though they're not Mounties. Pierre hits a rocket launcher senton off of Jacques' shoulders and gets a near fall. Pierre accidentally decks Jacques, then Mabel hits a rolling kick to Jacques. Mo helps Mabel hit the assisted splash to Pierre. Oscar stops Johnny Polo, but the ref misses the pinfall attempt, so he costs his own team the match here. They hit another double splash to Pierre. Johnny Polo then pulls Jacques out, and men on a mission get the quickest 10 count in history and win by count out here. Not understanding how title matches work, men on a mission grab the belts and celebrate after the match. So, yes, another really shitty match. Pierre did all the work for the Quebecers. Jacques had the night off, basically. Uh, Moe and Mabel, oof. If you'd also told me, hey, one of these guys is going to be king of the ring next year, bet you $100. I probably would have laughed in your face as well. So, there you go. What did you think of this match, Patrick? No comment. Good. WrestleMania 6 highlights where they mention that Warrior beat Hogan. No one is unbeatable. Ronda Shear and Donnie Wahlberg, new kids on the block in the house here, folks, are here for this next match. It's our title match. We're Blue, getting the Blue main Blood event. star. Yeah. Also, uh, Sixth Sense. He was the guy that was the... He killed himself in Sixth Sense. Really? I did not know this. Donnie introduces one shoots spoiler alert on the sixth sense he's the guy that kills uh bruce willis he shoots himself and kills bruce willis and turns bruce willis into the ghost i did not know this yeah donnie Wahlberg. never seen six current husband of jenny mccarthy donnie Wahlberg. he's a very lucky man yeah star of wrestlemania 11 and star of wrestlemania 10 maybe this is what they bonded over that's right Donnie introduces special guest referee Mr. Perfect for this match, who Vince makes Lex Luger look like an idiot here as he explains everyone agreed to the special ref before the match. So Lex Luger, he chose his opponent from last year's WrestleMania to be his referee. Yes. Why would he do that? Because he's a dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a stupid baby face. And he would just sign anything. This was, of course, remember this, these two title matches tonight. By the way, it's insane to think that Yokozuna had to work two matches, but he did. And uh, this was all because they did the double finish at Rumble with Brett and Luger going out at the same time. So both men got title matches. Yokozuna comes out first for some reason. Oh, not good news here. Good news for America. Bad news for Yokozuna, right? He's out with Mr. Fuji, and they've also paired him with Jim Cornette, which was a good call because Jim Cornette gave an awesome promo for him later on in the night. The Lex Express is here. After it crashed and burned at SummerSlam, it got redeemed at Royal Rumble, and I have a feeling it's going to crash and burn again here tonight. So he got the title shot at SummerSlam 93. He won by DQ and then celebrated by having wrestlers lift him on their shoulders like an idiot. And so this does explain why he would agree to Mr. Perfect because, Patrick, yes, he is 
been explained to us as an idiot who just really loves America. That's all we know about Lex Luger. They exchange strikes. Luger clotheslines Yoko, who stumbles around but doesn't fall. He tries another, but Yoko hits one on him. Yoko bails outside, receives an axe handle smash. Luger rams his head into the steps a couple times and then rolls Yoko into the ring. Luger hits a flying crossbody for a two count, an elbow for another near fall. Luger then fails at slamming Yokozuna, the one thing this fucker is known for. <laughs> He's on the grandest stage of them all. He can't do it. Can't do it. Fucking fails at slamming Yokozuna and nearly gets pinned from fucking up the thing that we know he can do. Yoko takes the buckle off. Then Yoko slaps on a nerve grip for ages because Yokozuna was tired, folks. And this was... I need to get through this match. So I'm going to grab onto your trapezius muscle and just... We're going to sit here a while. Lex hulks up but runs into Yoko's knee. Then Zuna chops Luger down to the mat, slaps on the trapezius claw again. Then Luger gets tossed out of the ring, comes back in, gets chopped again, and guess what? Yokozuna decided to do. Goes right back to the nerve grip. Luger hulks up again, but runs into a belly-to-belly from Yokozuna. Then Luger rams Zuna into the exposed buckle. So Zuna runs into the buckle that he undid himself. Zuna then no-sells two clotheslines before finally falling on the third. Luger barely slams Zuna. So he does accomplish it, sort of. It's a hit toss. That's right, just like the first one that he ever did on the USS Intrepid. Then he hits the bionic forearm, then he decks Cornette, decks Mr. Fuji, but Mr. Perfect is not having any of this wrestler assaulting manager bullshit and says, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. Ding, 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 DQ. And Jerry Lawler loves it. And the crowd chants bullshit. Here in 1994, the PG era before the Attitude Era was bullshit, was raining down on the arena. What did you think of this title match, Patrick, and Lex Luger's big shot? His oh, big man, perfect was the highlight. <laughs> Perfect's referee stripe pajamas here that he was wearing was... Uh, I need me a set of them. Yeah, it was, was nice. Because Piper didn't bother with any referee official gear. Jeans and a fucking Piper t-shirt. A no fear, uh, Tasmanian Devil Piper T-shirt. Yeah, uh, Mr. Perfect really wanted to tell everyone he's a referee. I mean, no, no doubt about it. Todd is with Mr. Perfect. Perfect says Luger put his hands on him and he got disqualified. I'm standing with Mr. Perfect right now. I don't understand why you did what you did. I do not understand it. Hey, I was the appointed official tonight. I'm Mr. Perfect. I called the match as I saw it, right down the middle. First of all, Lex Luger, he has no reason putting his hands on Mr. Perfect or an official in the World Wrestling Federation. When you put your hands on an official, you're automatically disqualified. I call it the way I saw it. Give me one good reason why. I'll give you three good reasons. Where's the first one, Luger? Number one, you don't throw managers in the ring. They're on the outside. Number two, you don't pull me. You don't touch an official. This is World Wrestling Federation. You never you have a problem with never me. touch an official. You should come to the match that beforehand. Not your match. I don't have a problem with you. I got a problem with you. I don't have a problem with you. I you never touch attack. an official in the World Wrestling well, Federation. That's bogus, and you know it. That's my story, and I'm bogus. Stick it to it. That's right. the way it is. Come on. I call it. I don't have to be that bogus. Oh, Let's go, Back at Then Luger runs down. This baby-faced Lex Luger, who's supposed to just accept defeat argues with Mr. Perfect, and then the goons have to separate them. Vince says that Luger got robbed. We all saw it. No, 
He didn't. Then we go to another WrestleMania moment. WrestleMania 7 featured the blindfold match. It was the blind leading the blind, says Gorilla. Harvey Whippleman is out next. Whippleman cuts a promo on Fink. He says, you've got hair, but you're still ugly. He rips Fink's pocket off of his jacket. What an asshole. And Fink goes into business for himself and shoves him down. But then Adam Bomb decides to beat the shit out of Fink. But then Earthquake shows up for some reason to take on Fink's honor. And despite being old himself, Earthquake is now getting a WrestleMania match at WrestleMania 10. John Tenta, the real sumo wrestler. The young guy, Adam Bomb, is going to take on Earthquake. Who will win this match in the new gen era? It's pretty obvious. Belly to belly to Adam Bomb from Earthquake, a big power slam. Then he hits the big whoopsie after he makes the Earthquake, and Earthquake beats Adam Bomb in about a minute. What was this, Patrick? <sighs> Sitting here trying to think how to describe it. I don't know if it was just a run-in turned match or if it was just a scheduled bullshit or what. But I'm with you. We have to hide the fact that Savage is old, but yet we're having an earthquake on here. Beating a young guy. Beating a young guy. I don't know. It makes zero sense. Todd is in the world's fakest locker room. <laughs> I mean, this thing, the lockers are so small, so, like, thin. They, I don't know who designed this locker room, but I guess their backstage budget had been cut. He's in the locker room waiting for Yokozuna, but Jim Cornette comes in and thankfully does all the talking. He says Zuna is still the champ and cuts a great promo, and I'll include it here. Vince, I'm in the locker room. I'm waiting for WWF champion Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji. What a match. Now, I've been told that Yokozuna should be here any second, and obviously we're going to try and bring you that interview here, but i got to tell you, what a match between Lex Luger and Mr. Perfect. I was back here trying to separate the two superstars. Jim Cornette... Wait, I gotta just you tell want? you, obviously Yokozuna is still champion, but he was down laying in that ring. You gotta admit that. Who's got the belt? Who's still the champion? That's all you need to know, Petty Zuna. Let me tell you something right now. Lex Luger, you thought you had everything well in hand, just like a purring kitten. But you found out, in the immortal words of the great poet and philosopher Ian Anderson, he who made kittens put snakes in the grass. And I thought Mr. Perfect did a wonderful job officiating. I thought he was fair and square and down the middle. And remember, the special referees were agreed upon by both parties, Luger. Now as to Bret Hart, let me explain something to you, punk. It's no longer a question of whether you're going to come out of this match with the World Wrestling Federation title. No, it's a question of whether you're going to come out of this match with your health, your body, and your career intact. Because you've got to get in that ring, Bret Hart, and you've got to think to yourself. You've got to have the pain, the agony, the degradation, the humiliation of being beaten by your own brother on worldwide pay-per-view. All that running through your mind. And you've got to have the pain of that knee. Don't think we didn't notice it. The pain of that knee that you injured, who knows how badly, coursing through your body, affecting your judgment, clouding your instincts. So, Bret Hart, you are going to have to come to terms with. You're going to have to deal with the fact that it's no longer a matter of you trying to win the title. It's a matter of you trying to keep yourself in one piece when you climb in a ring and you look into the eyes of the monster. The most powerful, the most intimidating, the most dominant force that's ever existed in wrestling history. The great, mighty Yokozuna, still the World Wrestling Federation champion. So, Bret Hart, you talk about waking a sleeping giant. He's not only awake, but he's mad. He's enraged. He's furious. And he's hungry. He's hungry and he wants to be fed. And Bret Hart, 
He's going to be the shark. The wrestling ring's going to be the ocean. And you, Bret Hart, are going to be the blood poured into the water that ticks off the feeding frenzy. He's going to chew you up and spit you out, Hart, and your career may be over at the biggest WrestleMania of all time. I can't wait to see it happen. We now know what the match will be. The Hitman, Bret Hart, and WWF champion, Yokozuna. An awesome WrestleMania. Right now, let's take you back to another awesome WrestleMania moment. And then the camera zooms into Zuna's face as Cornette is speaking, and he scowls at the camera. I thought this was great camera work here. Cornette says Zuna is the shark in the water, and he's going to chew you up and spit you out. Zuna, he had a lot to say here. What did he say, Patrick? Bullseye! Wow. Thanks. <laughs> Time for another WrestleMania moment. WrestleMania 8 at the Hoosier Dome. And what could you, we recall from WrestleMania 8 out of everything that happened at WrestleMania 8? The, the de- Boy. Debut of The Undertaker. They were there to see The Undertaker walk out. Wow. What a moment. It wasn't the debut. I think well, he was at 7. WrestleMania debut. I thought he debuted at 7. He did Jimmy Snuka first, though. He, did, he, he started Wasn't at that se- at 7? That's right, 7. It was Snuka, then Jake at 8. Yeah, you're right. Time for the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. Two IC belts, the real one and the bogus one of Razor Ramon, says King. Wikipedia says in the fall of 93, Jack Tunney announced he was stripping Michaels of the IC championship for not defending it often enough. There have been reports that the real reason for vacating the title was because Michaels refused to drop it. Ramon won the title after competing in a battle royal and defeating Rick Martel the other finalists in the match. In the angle, Michaels refused to acknowledge the title change, however, and insisted he was the true Intercontinental Champion. So, to gain revenge against Ramon for taking the belt, Michaels attacked Ramon and helped Erwin R. Scheister steal Ramon's gold chains. So, that's enough reason to... Don't know where the second belt came from, but I guess Michaels just had it and they printed a new one. The only way to win this match, climb the ladder and retrieve both belts, so you can't just take one. You gotta take both. What happens if you take one, throw it down, and then the other person runs up and grabs the other? That's why you're a referee extraordinaire, because this needed to be explained if this happened. Sean and Diesel, his new valet, is out first. (laughs) I've never heard Diesel described as that. Yes, a lovely valet. The heartbreak (laughs) kid uh, had, you know, he had all these lovely ladies, Sherry Martell and Luna. Luna. And uh, later on, uh, Pamela Anderson at the Rumble. So, yeah, so the heartbreak kid here has decided, you know what? No more ladies for me. I'm going with big, tall guys. And uh, first is Diesel and then Sid. So he had his phase where... Well, the assless chaps thing, I mean, that kind of plays into... (laughs) Yeah, he was into really tall dudes for a little while. Dudes with attitudes. Sean was very careful not to walk under the ladder. Shawn Michaels' fashion watch at WrestleMania 10 is classic 90s Shawn with the dumbest sunglasses he's ever worn with the flip-down lenses, a mirror vest, mullet, chaps, white tights with red hearts, and giant black knee pads. So if it wasn't for the black knee pads, I would say his tights weren't that bad. His mullet was beautiful. Uh, His ring out gear was pretty shitty this was probably the worst that i've seen of his mid-90s gear 
Razor Ramon is out next for the biggest match of his career. It goes without saying. And he's been to the tanning bed because, boy, he is gold. Just like his tights, which are black and gold. Black with gold razor blades, which always look to me like movie tickets, by the way. They did. They did. Scott Hall, very stupidly, walks under the ladder. This man that had already had some bad luck in his past walked under a ladder. And guess what? More bad luck was to follow Scott Hall uh, throughout his career and life. So maybe he regrets walking under the ladder. No pyro for either guy, which seemed really odd because both of these guys have massive pyro displays, but neither one got him. Razor choke slams Sean after Sean thumbs him in the eye. Sean hits a swinging neck breaker in return. Razor gets thrown to the outside. Diesel clotheslines Razor, who went out to get Sean. Earl says, You're out of here in this no DQ match, so fuck you, Earl. Diesel gets a great payday here tonight. He walked out, did one thing, got paid left. Razor gets back in the ring with a big right hand. Sean gets clothesline back out of the ring. Razor rips up the ring mats. Razor wants to Razor's edge Sean to the concrete from the ring, which would have been amazing. No. No, they don't do that. Instead, Sean back body drops him out onto the concrete, so Razor ends up taking his own concrete idea. Razor starts selling his elbow, so Sean goes for the ladder. Razor stops him before he can make it to the ring with the ladder. He gets a baseball slide into his midsection while he's holding the ladder from Sean. Sean then rams the ladder into his midsection when Razor gets in the ring. Rams it into it again while he's on the mat. Lawler says this ladder weighs between 80 and 100 pounds. Okay, Jerry Lawler. Grossly overestimates weights of stairs and ladders. Hey, listen, them stairs are about five, 600 pounds. Sean just hurls the ladder at Razor's back, which looked like it sucked because there's no way to take that <laughs> properly. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm just going to throw this at your back. Okay, great. <laughs> he then sets up the ladder. He climbs at a fairly normal pace. Why didn't Triple H and Rock watch this match? And then Razor rips his tights down. And, of course, this is Sean's one of his favorite spots, getting that ass out. He gets his ass out, and so... Razor drops a bare-ass Sean and then drops an elbow on him. Sean scoop slams Razor and goes atop the ladder that he put near the corner and goes for a splash and nails it to a downed Ramon. Sean goes for the belts again. Razor wakes up, shoves the ladder over. Sean takes a bump off the ropes. Both men collide from an Irish whip. The aerial camera gets a great shot of this. Then Sean puts the ladder in the corner. He tries whipping Razor to the ladder, but Razor reverses it, and Sean goes tumbling out of the ring. Razor brings the ladder outside of the ring, smashes Sean with it. Sean bounces off the ring post. Razor catapults Sean to the ladder, and he falls to the aisleway with the ladder in his hands. Razor, though, knocks Sean out of the ring again with the ladder. Razor goes for the belt. Sean leaps from the buckle and hits an axe handle, and the ladder falls on Sean afterwards. Ouch. Both men set the ladder up and start climbing for the belts. They brawl on the ladder. Razor slams Sean off, and the ladder falls over. Razor sets it up again, but Sean drop kicks the ladder, and Razor falls off. The ladder stayed up. It survived the drop kick and teeters back and forth, so Sean, being a dick, just shoves it over and it falls on Razor anyway. Razor gets up, eats a super kick. Sean calls for the Razor's Edge to Razor, which I would have loved to have seen, but he just does a pile driver. Sean then rides the ladder onto Razor, which was a great spot. Then he just rolls off. Lawler marks out for that move. Sean then sets the ladder up under the belts and over Razor. 
Razor shoulder blocks the ladder. Sean gets crotched on the ropes. Then his leg gets tied up in the ropes. Sean gets free, but it's too late as Razor drops down with the belts before he can turn around. An amazing match, mostly because of Shawn Michaels' work here. Razor really didn't do all that much. <laughs> and I think their SummerSlam ladder match is better than this one, despite the fuck-ups in it. And Sean having the temper tantrum. <laughs> over how the belts get hung up. Uh, this is obviously a legendary match, but like I said, it's all Shawn Michaels highlights. It's not Razor Ramon. If you asked somebody about this match and said who won, they would probably just say, oh, Shawn won that match. Because <laughs> Razor really out... I mean, didn't do much here. I just... Yeah. I hate to say it, but... I mean, Shawn bounced around so good, it got him into the main event next year. So, yeah. into the title match. But what do you think of this ladder match? Oh, I mean, it's one of the greatest ladder matches of all time. It's uh, idolized in praise. And uh, I, I guess how many ladders they used? One. Amazing. Guess how many they had for backups? Zero, it seemed like. They had only zero. So the story goes, they legit only had this one ladder, and they halfway through the match went, when it started getting warped, well, somebody's climbing that. (laughs) And so they just went with what they had. Razor then gets the iconic pose on the ladder with both belts. Razor, man, he's going to be in the title picture, just like Owen. We've just made two main eventers. Wouldn't happen. We go to the locker room and Camp Cornette is arguing about their match, which never happens. It got bumped. Vince says, oh, we just don't have time for that. Sorry. So, hope you didn't want to see Double J tonight. Ted DiBiase is with the fake president. We don't have time for a match. Instead, we have time for the fake president and Ted DiBiase, who says everybody's got a price, okay? Please, uh, uh, no no more questions. I'd, I'd just like to enjoy myself here to, this evening at uh, uh, WrestleMania. A WrestleMania 9 moment where it was an afternoon of miscarriages of justice. A promo recaps Bret Hart's rise to fame, and this sucked on the network. Because they had to dub over the Tom Petty song. So it's just generic twang rock over his stuff. And then it's a Zuna sizzle reel. And I don't know if this was the original music or not. But this sucked too. There's no narration. It goes on forever. We get it. What Tom Petty song was it? Making Some Noise. This I, I think this was the song that was supposed to play. Making some noise. That was actually in an earlier review that we did that maybe smack em, whack em or something. Some There's one review we did where I mentioned it was that shitty song that Brett sings or whatever, but Michael Vincent corrected me and said it was the Tom Petty song, so that's what it was here too. So, Really? Yeah, so... So Tom Petty sang that one as well? It was the Tom Petty song in both of those, but that Bret Hart song was real, but that was from earlier when like Brett was like mid-card singing gotcha. that song i girl's gonna break your heart make you cry never be the one to say goodbye say goodbye <laughs> say goodbye so how did how did they get if they were hurting for money because of the trials and all that bullshit how did they end up getting tom petty to i've talked about this before with like ecw and stuff music companies before napster and the internet didn't care really because they were selling records so if you used it it's free publicity yeah and so they weren't so they weren't so 
they wouldn't hit you up for royalty fees as much as they do now because now they don't sell as many records. So if you play the music, they'll be like, they'll go into restaurants and bars and if they hear their music playing, they'll send you a bill in the mail. Yeah, this happened like Bruce Springsteen, like very popular in New Jersey. Like his record company went into these bars and they were playing Bruce Springsteen music. And so the record company sent them giant bills like saying you owe us like $5,000 or something because you've been playing born in the usa or something and bruce springsteen had to step in and say no no don't fucking do that like this is new jersey this is like (laughs) this is my my place yeah Yeah, like so you're fucking me over (laughs) yeah so but now they're assholes about it so you can't get away with it anymore (laughs) jenny garth is out with burt reynolds he was rocking a cast for some reason i don't know apparently he had injured himself in some motorcycle accident or something jenny garth better known as i forgot 90210 was it kelly which they're about to revive 90210 really yeah she was kelly you got (laughs) it wow yeah i didn't know you were such a 90210 fan i hate that fucking show i've never seen a full episode jenny garth is out with burt reynolds he reads the cards and introduces the special guest ref it's roddy piper who as i mentioned earlier no ref gear Instead, wore a No Fear shirt and black jeans with the Tasmanian Devil on the back of his shirt to really remind you it's 1994. Yokozuna comes out first again. How does this happen twice? Jack Tunney, you're fired. Then Bret Hart comes out. No glasses, no jacket. He's serious, Bret Hart, now. He's injured. He's beaten. Burt Reynolds says Bret Hart is one of the greatest athletes today. He sounded sincere about, so he is an actor after all. Zuna immediately chops Hart down. Zuna scoop slams Hart. Brett can't get the big man off his feet. Zuna bites Brett's face. Piper just lets this go. Piper does scold Zuna for it, though. Hey, that's not nice. Piper keeps Cornette at bay. Zuna misses a running splash to Brett, who was on the mat. Brett just hits him with multiple right hands. Then he headbutts him. Very strange offense from Bret Hart against Yoko Zuna. And he finally goes down, which makes no sense. Zuna has a hard head. That's his, would have been his gimmick. Or is that only Samoans? Bret just keeps on hammering on Zuna. He gets Zuna down, but Cornette breaks the cover. Piper just decks Cornette. Zuna then puts a blatant choke on Bret, and Piper breaks it up. Zuna and Piper then tussle. Yoko Zuna hits his big leg drop. Zuna allows Bret to get up, which was stupid. And then throws him over the ropes. Piper has a fast count going. Piper didn't fuck around on his 10 counts. One, two, three. So Brett, before he can even realize what's happening, has to rush in before he gets counted out and beats the count. Zuna bites Brett again and kicks him in the corner. Zuna misses his butt splash to Brett in the corner, his rear view. Brett hits his second rope elbow. Zuna kicks out again at two. Brett hits a leaping clothesline and both men are down. Brett gets another near fall out of this, tries another bulldog, but gets caught for a belly-to-belly, and then Yokozuna calls for the bonsai drop. Zuna, though... Bonsai! In the strangest finish I can ever remember. Maybe not. But the strangest finish to a WrestleMania main event. Zuna goes up, loses his balance, and hits his head. Allegedly. I didn't see the contact here. But Zuna just falls over, and Brett covers... One, two, three, and wins the match. Can you explain this finish? What happened here? Well, he's all wet and slippery. You know, he's tired. Match. He's tired, and he slipped and fell. Now, where he hit his head, I don't fucking get that shit at all. But 
boy. Uh, so Luger looks like an idiot. Yokozuna looks like a fat idiot. And Owen looks like he should be the world champion. Their WrestleMania 9 match was so much better than this one. It really one. was. And it ended with a fuck finish. But I'd take that match a million times over than seeing this one. This one sucked. But like you mentioned, every single time we see Yokozuna, you say, dude, he looks so bad. <laughs> you say every time he's he put does, on... He does, man. Every time he puts on more weight. Every There's never a, a Yokozuna match outside of his like first two or three where you won't hear Patrick saying, dude, he looks like he's gained 15 pounds since the <laughs> he last He just one. keeps bulking the fuck up. So a year removed from having a pretty decent match with Brett. I mean, Brett could put him in the sharpshooter last year. Oh, Brett can't do that now. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I guess that was the reason for the knee injury angle to yeah. explain that maybe. but Because, I mean, you have to agree, he's gotten bigger since... Oh, def- there's no... There's no denying it, yeah. And he just keeps going. Like, it doesn't stop. By WrestleMania 12, his tights are going, fuck! He had to get bigger tights. Yeah! They, like, took up more of his, to hold him together. Yeah. Listen, it's sad, really. Oh, I know. I know it's sad because... I give him shit, but I love Yoko. And I think it was a great gimmick. I thought he was a very talented athlete. And the things he could do for the size that he was, him and Rikishi both... Hands down. And even Umaga. Umaga, for that matter. Hands down is is very unbelievably sound. And uh, just unfortunately, um, like, dude, like, I'm not in the best of health. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, God, dude, at a certain point in time, like, it's sad to see out there in the ring. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the dude, but you can't help but notice it. Yeah. That he gets less mobile. Every time he comes up on this paper or it, on this radio show, well, and show. it's even worse tonight because he had to work two matches. Yeah, and it's just sad. Well, hell, after the first match, he was sucking wind, and so. that was against Lex Luger, who didn't do shit. Yeah, and now you're taking on Brett, who had a five star classic earlier in the night. Pyro goes off as Zuna chases after Roddy Piper, and Brett is laying in the ring. Yes, this is how we start off a new champion's reign with him laying in the ring like he doesn't know what the fuck just happened. He's gasping for air. Vince declares a brand new era is underway and the next decade of the World Wrestling Federation is here. Lex Luger then comes out. Are we going to get a heel turn? Which would have been kind of cool, actually, if he just (laughs) smacked him. And then, like, Owen came out and just, like, (laughs) Brett got the boots put to him. Like, two years in a row, he has a terrible way to end WrestleMania. Luger and Owen team up and just beat the shit out of him. (laughs) So, Luger comes out and stays a good guy and shakes Brett's hand. And Piper raises his hand, too, despite being a loser. And then Razor runs out, which is really weird, knowing Razor's relationship with Bret Hart and the Click and all that, and all the faces in the back run out to celebrate with Macho Brett, Man Randy Savage, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, even Ronda Shear comes out. Macho Man Donnie Wahlberg and Gorilla Monsoon, and then Vince says, "I'm getting up to join them too." And then Jerry Lawler just like put his headset down, and left. He did not say a fucking word after that. We didn't see a. 
we didn't hear a hi you know thanks for watching come and see us again oh yeah no Jerry, no you didn't get none of that shit he was probably scared to say something because his boss is not there the guy that's usually in his ear to tell yeah. him what to say yeah. So if he said something Vince didn't like, he'd get his head chewed off. Right. So he just said fucking nothing. So we have no context. So we get this big happy ending in the ring, but then Owen Hart comes out. And he just looks on and he's just disgusted. But the, the faces are like, come in and join us. Come in. Like, did they not watch the fucking pay-per-view? But no. Owen's like, no fucking way. Dude, he is stone face pissed. <laughs> he, is st- <laughs> I mean, he is straight up. And he just walks off and we go off the air. And that is WrestleMania 10. It's a pay-per-view that is... It has two really good matches on it. Yes. And that's about it. Yes. It rights the wrong from WrestleMania 9 for Brett, so I feel at least justice was served then. If only Brett had known what was going to happen to him three years later. (laughs) uh, He probably wouldn't have been so jolly here. (laughs) But at least they had a direction... For the come, like at least you felt like, oh, it's Owen's gonna be a big star. Sean, Brett, Razor, we got all these new, newer stars. We're going in a different direction. But then, you know, as soon as you know, Ultimate Warrior can pick up his phone. Oh, please come back, please come back. Yeah, well, '96. So yeah, even though they are in this new generation era, yeah, uh, Ultimate Warrior, please come back, please. <laughs> Please beat my future son-in-law in two seconds at WrestleMania, please. It's a good WrestleMania. It is. Um, it does not get the credit it deserves. It's an easy watch, despite most of the matches being shit. <laughs> uh, they're very easy to get through. The only one that really dragged for me was the tag team match. I fucking hated that tag team match. Which one? Men on a Mission and the Quebecers. I hated that. Went on for 741. One of the longer matches on this card. But just for Owen and Brett alone, I think you have to watch this card. There was a dark match. We missed the Heavenly Bodies defeat the Bushwhackers. So, thank goodness that wasn't included on here. I kind of want to see the Heavenly Bodies, but I don't give a shit about the Bushwhackers. Yeah. All the bullshit matches pretty much didn't take that long, really. So... I enjoyed Bretto and Doink Dink and Bigelow and Luna, Sean Razor and Brett and Zuna. Yep, those would be my recommendations. And I'm skipping, I'm actually skipping Savage and Crush because that's a lot of fucking nothing. I would still only recommend Owen versus Brett, Razor versus Sean, and then Brett versus Zuna. So you wouldn't put the uh, Doink and Dink and. Uh, no. I really? I don't have any time for that, no. I actually enjoyed that match. So, Patrick. On our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where does WrestleMania 10 fall? Luna Vachon. Luna Vachon. I am going to give it a Leilani Kai. Oh, yeah. It should be higher for the two great matches it has, but it's not, unfortunately. Now, Patrick, we're off next week because I have to go to a wedding in Baltimore. But Yes. What will be our pay-per-view to review when we come back in two weeks? Oh, I don't like it when you do that. Oh, guess what? I'm going to leave these fans begging for you to hurry back because we are going to go back to the year 2000. It is WCW Thunder, episode 109, April 26th, year 2000. What in the world just happened? Uh, I, I know 
what you speak of. I'm just going to leave you in suspense like that yeah. right there. Bam. All right. Well, that'll be it. A random episode of Thunder. Nothing ever really happens on Thunder. Not so, a damn thing. So this should be pretty easy as my voice is going to give out on us towards the end of this show. Go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code Retro Wrestling, get a month for free. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. With Brett garnering worldwide acclaim, his younger brother Owen was growing tired of hearing about the hitman's accomplishments and made one last ditch effort to propel himself into the spotlight of the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, big deal, Brett. Well, no, no, I gotta give you credit, Brett. You did some great things. You've done it all. You've done everything possible, Brett. But you know what? What does that make me when I go out and beat you at WrestleMania? I was ready to quit the business, and I guess maybe some days when you look back on it, sometimes you wish maybe he had, but um, who knows what would happen if he'd become a fireman or what he was hoping to be. I can say that I'm pretty sure he was very happy with all the things he did with his wrestling career, and uh, yeah, he was really proud and very happy of all the things he did with me in the ring. I got a big problem in my hands with, uh, you know, I don't know, with emotions. When I think about what I got to do with my brother Owen, it was something that I wanted to avoid. This is something I did not want to do. And Owen, brother, between you and me, you know that this is something you've brought on. You talk about me being selfish. Well, I'm not going to go and air my thoughts about what I think about you, but I can say one thing. Owen, you are wrong. You've made a big mistake, and unfortunately, you are going to pay for it in WrestleMania 10. You want to you wanna get into this big thing? We are going to get into it, and we are going to get into it all the way. Owen, you're going to go down. The truth is, I did have so many people come up to me and tell me with tears in their eyes and come up and say, you know, I've got a brother that I haven't talked to for 18 years, and, you know, and they identified with the storyline. a very uh, emotional issue for a lot of people. In the middle of the ring, Red Arn is somehow, look at him screaming, yes, he's screaming yes, unbelievable, Red Arn cracks out, here we go, Brett trying to reverse it, Brett trying to get it on his brother Owen, he does, bad a shot shooter, he's got it, no, but Owen hooks the rope. There's a certain beauty in uh, carrying that off and doing it as well as we did. Look at this! He hooks him on the legs, and yes! A victory! No! Wow! What? No. Wait! Three. Oh, wow! Got wow! It. What do you think of that, McMahon? Owen Hart unquestionably stepped out of the shadow of his brother, Brett. Brother, I beat you. I said it all along. Now I am. The best there is. The best there was. And I am going to be the best there ever will be, brother. I beat you tonight, Madison Square Garden. And this is a great moment for me, Brett. We really had a great um, a great chemistry together. It's over. It's over, Brett. <laughs> it's all come to an end. You are finished. Come SummerSlam, there is going to be a new reign in the Hart family. It is going to be me. And the whole family is going to jump on my bandwagon. But this will be settled between you and me, Brett. Nobody is going to interfere. It will be settled. And I am going to become the 
World Wrestling Federation champion. And I want you to take a look exactly how it's going to be on that hot summer night, Brett. It only made us closer when we worked together, despite how the storyline might have looked to people. You know, we really um, bonded even and had a sort of a newfound respect. I'm going to beat you, brother. And I just hope, after it's all said and done, that you can live with it. We made people forget that that a cage match is usually a, you know, a bloody massacre. I don't know of very many guys that could have carried that off the way we did. Hold him, Owen, hold him! You know, the whole thing with Owen was a lot of fun. That referee shut the door Oh, no, almost out, almost all the way out. And diving for the door, he made it. He's out, he's out, he's out! Oh, wow, that was close. Uh, we had such a great, um, we had a great run together. We're going to see something special here tonight, no doubt of that. Ooh, down in a canvas, the hitman. Um, it only strengthened the love we had for each other. You don't mean to tell me. When I remember suplexing Owen off the top of the cage into the ring, standing off the top, that's a long ways down. And, um... When I think about Owen, especially in the th how things ended for him, and I remember that, just how important it was for me to uh, to protect him as we fell back into the ring. It always um, makes me feel good to know. Um, and what professionals we were.